Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. This is NPR's Life Kit. I'm Ritu Chatterjee. I cover mental health for NPR, and today we're talking about something many people might be experiencing right now, burnout. It was, it was an overwhelming set of feelings where I wasn't making the right decisions. It was like a, a set of days where I was uh, beyond exhausted, physically, mentally, emotionally. Everyday normal things that would just weigh on my shoulders. Like, I remember feeling so defeated, like thinking, oh, I haven't given my dog a bath was definitely real. Every single day felt like a Monday. And then over time, that became beyond just a matter of being tired, too tired to roll out of bed, but literally getting a a PTSD-like symptom when I heard my outlook calendar go off. My body tensed, my stomach started to ache, and I felt nauseous. The World Health Organization defines burnout as a syndrome associated with chronic stress at work. The term has gained popularity in recent years as workplaces around the world now require people to do more and more, leading to more employees feeling burnt out. And right now, during the pandemic, people's work lives have become even more stressful. It's all the more reason for us to talk about it now. When I first started to report on the topic a couple of years ago, I thought I knew what the word meant based on how we use it colloquially, like I'm burnt out or exhausted because I've been working too hard. It becomes this sort of acceptable American thing where we work really hard, work made me tired. It's just that work, work, work. That's Dr. Jessie Gold. She's a psychiatrist at Washington University in St. Louis. And so if work made you do it, it's acceptable, it's normal, and that's just the way it is. That kind of thinking keeps people from addressing burnout, from getting help. But studies show that burnout has serious consequences on people's mental health. Burnout is a risk factor for depression. It's a risk factor for substance use. It's a risk factor for suicidal ideations or suicidal thoughts. Um, And so if you are burnt out, you should deal with it. So in today's episode of Life Kit, we'll unpack burnout for you, help you understand what it can look and feel like. And we'll have tips on how to catch the early signs and how individuals and workplaces can address burnout. For Dr. Gold, this past year has been especially stressful. I see a lot of healthcare workers. I see a lot of college students. Both populations have been really having a hard time. And she's been seeing her patients virtually, which she doesn't enjoy as much as seeing patients in person. And over time, I think I was just getting really tired after work. And I was needing to fall asleep every day after work and not really understanding why at all. Gold had an appointment with her therapist. And my therapist was like, you mean to tell me that you see frontline workers as a frontline worker in the middle of a pandemic and you're tired? And all of a sudden it sort of like clicked. And I was like, oh, I'm burnt out. And she's like, yes, you're burnt out. Gold realized she'd been ignoring other signs of her burnout, like feeling emotionally spent and dreading work. I dread opening up my computer and starting the workday. 
or I have a little bit more anger when I look at my inbox or I don't want to reply to emails and I just kind of want them to not be dealt with at all. Even though we may think burnout is just exhaustion, these negative emotions that Gold was feeling are also part of the burnout experience because burnout is more than what you might think. Christina Maslach is a psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, who studied job-related burnout since the 1970s. She says the experience of burnout has three main components. One is the exhaustion. And that's your body's response to chronic stress. The second component, she says, is when you start to feel cynical about work. A distancing from other people. Uh, you know, it's kind of take this job and shove it, you know, sort of thing. And you begin to switch from trying to do your very best all the time to do the bare minimum that you need to do to still get paid and, and do the job. And the third component is that you start to blame yourself. Thinking, what has gone wrong with me? Why am I not good at this? Why can't I handle it? That sounds very familiar to Diane Ravago. She's an EMT in California and is going to school to get a paramedics license. I work 24-hour shifts just the way that it falls, I'll work anywhere between two to three 24-hour shifts in a seven-day period. Last fall, she hit a wall. She felt exhausted, overwhelmed. And then... I started to question myself, like, man, like, can I do this? Can I do this for the rest of my life? Can I do this every day? Maslach says when people start to feel this way, they usually keep it to themselves because they worry that their colleagues will judge them. But studies show that burnout can be contagious. So if you're burned out, chances are so are your co-workers, which is all the more reason to address it because it affects not just a few people here and there, but entire workplaces. The environment around is a big deal. You, you can even just show up and they're not even your partners, it's a different crew. And you could feel that they've been running all day, they're exhausted. And you can, you, you can feel the negativity, but you kind of steer away from it because, you know, it can easily overlap and, you know, now you're feeling it and whatnot. Changes your mentality for sure. That brings us to takeaway number one. Burnout is really easy to miss, but it is bigger than you think. It includes physical and emotional exhaustion, feeling cynical about one's work, distancing oneself from it, and feelings of shame and self-doubt. It's really important to address burnout because the stakes are high. It affects not just you, but your colleagues, maybe your entire workplace. So how can you as an individual catch the early signs of burnout and begin to address it? One of the things that I tell people is trying to pause and take almost like an inventory of how you're doing. And when you ask the question, Dr. Gold says, answer honestly. If you're feeling exhausted, irritable, anxious about work, or feeling shame and guilt that's part of the burnout experience, acknowledge those feelings and try to figure out what's causing them. Amber Harper is a former school teacher and now a burnout coach in Indiana. She says don't ignore the negative emotions and hope they will just go away, which is what a lot of people do. If I can just, if I can just keep going, I'll just, I'll just make it through these feelings and then I'm going to be okay. That's what puts you... In, in this state of, of, of complete breakdown and overwhelm because we're not stopping and stepping back and saying, what do I have control over? 
Not having a sense of control at work is a big risk factor for burnout. Harper herself experienced that lack of control back when she was a school teacher. They wanted things to be the same that they had been for for years and years and years. They had one leader and nobody else was going to come in there with all of these different ideas and threaten the hierarchy that had really honestly been put into place there. And it just it didn't work for me. These days, as a burnout coach, she helps other teachers find things about their work that they can control. Dr. Jessie Gold says the exercise of checking in with yourself, your emotions can help you spot the early warning signs and help you take control of little things at work. She suggests making it a daily practice. It can even be helpful to sort of note your mood throughout the day and be like, well, every time I have a meeting with so-and-so, I feel horrible. And then every time I'm with this person or doing this thing, that's where I find most meaning. Knowing those things can help you make little changes that can give you a little bit of control. Maybe you can get out of attending that meeting you hate so much. And if you can't, maybe you do something you really enjoy right after that meeting. I think sometimes we can rearrange our day to have some positives with some negatives, so it's not a horrible day of just negative. It's not like we can change everything that's stressful at work, but Gold says this exercise can help you figure out what you can control. You know, the serenity prayer, sort of like accepting the things I can't change and dealing with what I can is really helpful because the things you can change are how do I react to things? How am I coping with things? What part of my workplace can I control? Which stressors are really the worst part of my day and am I able to minimize any of that? For people working from home right now, Gold has another suggestion. She says have a structure to your workday with routines that you had back when you used to go to an office. Get up at the same time. Get dressed. I know it's really fun to just wear sweatpants and wear like pajamas all the time. But if you wear sweatpants and pajamas for a year, your brain thinks you're depressed because it's like, you know what depressed people do? Wear sweatpants and don't shower, you know? So it just convinces you that you are depressed. So I think, you know, getting up at the same time, showering, sometimes even like pretend commute. So like get up, go for a walk like you would go for a commute. She says this helps put boundaries. This really allows your brain to think like, this is work, this is life. I can have both and distinguish between the two. And that can allow me to have like enjoyment in my day-to-day life as well. And through all of this, Gold says, try to be kinder towards yourself and give yourself credit for all that you are accomplishing. Especially now during this pandemic, when we're dealing with so many more stresses in our work and personal lives. That brings us to takeaway number two, find ways to take control over your day. One way to do that is by checking in with yourself every day about how you're doing. And pay attention to your emotions. They can help you catch the early signs of burnout and help you deconstruct your workday, set some boundaries and assert some control. Christina Maslach says another big risk factor for burnout is a high workload. You have way too much to do. You don't have enough resources to actually do the job well. You don't have enough time. Which is why some professions are more prone to burnout. For example, teaching. Here's Amber Hopper again. This is what teachers do. They just work all hours and they give them themselves until they have nothing left. So if you're feeling burnt out because of your workload, try to see if you can lessen it. Maslach suggests talking with your colleagues about ways to do that. Maybe you can get rid of tasks that are unnecessary or you can streamline processes. 
you can point out things that, you know, this is, I've just been wondering why we are doing intake here in this way, because it seems to be adding a lot to the workload. And I'm not sure all of these files are ever going to be read by anybody. So could we redesign this or, or is it just me, you know, and, and, or do, is there some other things that, you know, we could do? So trying to focus on how could we make this a little bit better? Not just for you, but for your colleagues as well. Just working together with your colleagues to solve a problem can help you address some of the drivers of burnout as well. For example, by giving you that sense of control that's so important. And whether you succeed in your efforts or not, it's really important to also take breaks. Dr. Gaurava Agarwal is a psychiatrist and a well-being coach at Northwestern Medicine, and he's the director of physician well-being there. He says rest is key to preventing and addressing burnout. What you want to currently do is really uh, focus in on those basic health needs uh, that we all have uh, around protecting yourself, uh, making sure that we are resting uh, and calming our brain down uh, because we, our brains aren't designed to work this hard, this long, chronically. Uh, we really do have to make sure that when there are opportunities to rest, that we take them instead of feeling guilty, which is a kind of a major driver of our uh, emotions is we, we feel guilty about taking that rest, which is why a lot of people don't take it. But, he says, research studies show clearly that not resting is bad for work. He says it's important to take regular breaks whenever possible. And so taking that five minutes uh, in an hour or, or one day a week um, to your ability to recuperate is going to be a big part of dealing with that exhaustion. And once we have our tanks refilled a little bit more, we have the ability to face the ongoing stressors uh, moving forward. It's also important to take a little time each day to do something that brings you joy, says Gold. It's hard to tell someone to do that, and it's privileged to tell someone to do that because they have so many responsibilities. But if it's at all possible, it, it can make such a difference to like their whole emotional state. She says use those precious minutes to walk your dog, call a friend, meditate, listen to music, whatever helps you pause and recharge. Also, she says use your vacation days even if you don't go anywhere. It, it's not just the act of going somewhere that's a vacation. It's the not going to work part. It's the refreshing part. It's the taking time for yourself part. That's our takeaway number three. Know when you're working too much because too much work causes burnout and make sure you prioritize rest. But if at any point of time you feel like you're having trouble functioning on a day-to-day -day basis, you're too exhausted, not enjoying things you used to enjoy, you may be depressed. It might have started as burnout, but as Gold puts it, burnout can be a step towards depression. So don't wait. Make an appointment with a psychiatrist or a therapist. If you wait to see someone like me, then it becomes much more of an issue because a lot of our treatment takes time. The sooner you seek help, the easier it will be for you to recover. Now, so far, we've told you about two risk factors for burnout, but there are a few other key factors that influence your risk, and they have to do more with your workplace. Our last takeaway is about what leaders and senior managers can do to address those factors and address burnout in the long run. Another major driver of burnout is the absence of reward or recognition. If your boss and your colleagues tell you when you do a good job, let you know that your work is appreciated, then you have a lower risk of burnout. But if you don't, you're more likely 
to feel burnt out. Maslach says the absence of a sense of community at work is also a big risk factor. Where uh, you can't trust anybody. You don't dare say anything like, wow, I'm really stuck on this problem. I'm wondering if you could, you know, take a minute just to, to talk with me about it, maybe help me out. There's, you know, people throwing each other under the bus in order to get ahead of each other. Workplaces that are unfair, where there's bullying, discrimination, where opportunities aren't given fairly, are workplaces where employees are more likely to burn out. That's why Maslach and other researchers say it's really important for employers and workplace leaders to take ownership over addressing burnout. So if you're a leader or manager in your workplace and you're seeing your employees burning out, you can do something about it. Dr. Gaurava Agarwal of Northwestern Medicine says leaders should talk openly about burnout and talk about it with compassion. By being transparent, by being compassionate, by showing grief leadership, what you're doing is you're building the sense that we are in this together and we are going to get through this together. And we have, frankly, gotten through difficult times before. And so what, what happens is people start leveraging those experiences uh, and in some ways, that's the heart of resilience. And that's the last idea we'll leave you with. Workplace structures and culture are often the main drivers of burnout. So preventing burnout in the long run will need addressing these bigger workplace issues. And leaders in organizations need to play a big role in all of this. To summarize our takeaways, takeaway number one, burnout is bigger than you think. It stems from chronic stress at work and involves physical and emotional exhaustion, feelings of dread and cynicism about your work, and a sense of shame and guilt. It has serious consequences on individuals' mental health. It's also contagious and affects workplaces and society at large. Takeaway number two, take control of your workday. One way to do that is by developing a practice of checking in with yourself and how you're doing a few times during your workday. And pay attention to your negative emotions and what's causing them. It'll help you address the causes of those emotions and take some control over your work life. Because lack of control, lack of boundaries is a big factor causing burnout. Takeaway number three, know when you're working too much and find ways to make your workload more manageable and prioritize rest every day, every week, and use those vacation days you've been saving for a year. Takeaway number four, workplace structures and culture have a big impact on burnout risk, things like absence of social support at work or presence of bullying and discrimination. So workplace leaders have a very big role in both preventing and addressing burnout. Ultimately, it's more than individuals taking care of their own workload and mental health. As Christina Maslach puts it, in the long run, addressing burnout is really about creating workplaces where employees can thrive. Ideally, we want a place to work where the conditions are good enough that we should be on a sort of common quest, you know, for how can we adjust, tweak, get it a little bit better because things will change and new stuff will come along and what we did before isn't going to be the best and how do we sort of continually improve it so that we're all at our best because this is a good environment to really support the kinds of things that we're trying to accomplish. This is Reese. 
Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Last week, we had a conversation on the fact that many public corporations in Illinois lack diversity at the top levels. Women and people of color aren't well represented in those positions, according to the University of Illinois. And within the last year, there's been a push for companies to have more diversity, to be more inclusive, and in general, to be more equitable. But what does that actually mean in practice? How can that be done? The consulting firm For the Culture works with companies who have those very same questions and more. So joining me now is a founding partner of FTC, Jesse Perez. Welcome to Reset, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Tell us more about For the Culture. How did the organization get started? Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad to be on here and be able to share this. Um, so I founded For the Culture with three partners. Um, there were three women of color that um, had been doing equity and culture shift work. I had also been doing equity and culture shift work, and we'd all been doing it separately. Um, you know, in last year, with our country just being forced to face and reckon with entrenched systemic racism and anti-blackness and thinking really intentionally about institutional racism, we realized that there was a lot of need for this work. And... Um, being somebody that has always wanted to go off on her own, um, build a business, work for herself, and being able to connect with three other women that mm-hmm. also want to do the same, uh, we were able to come together and, and kind of bring our collective experience in, in equity and culture shift and build for the culture. So what exactly is culture shift work? Because what I can imagine is you having been really, really busy, given all that's happened over the past year, because there's so many conversations, Jesse, right now at, at all the different companies around diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, countless DEI committees, uh, lots of talk of reckoning. How exactly do you help these firms to want to be more equitable and inclusive? Give us examples. We have definitely been very busy. Uh, so our approach is in four stages. So there is no one-size-fits-all for any organization or business. Our work is very people-centered. So we really gear our services to what an organization and what staff needs. So we start with our C phase. And what we do is we go into an organization and get to know the staff there and get to know the needs. And we do that through surveys, through equity and culture assessments, and through discovery sessions, which are small group discussions with stakeholders across departments, across the organizations working at different levels, mm-hmm. to get a real feel for what an organization needs and where they are on their equity and culture shift journey. Then we work with an organization in our strategize phase to be able to plan out what the best way to move forward is. And that could mean different things. That could mean training. That could mean one-on-one coaching with leadership and people managers. It could mean an overhaul and review of policies and practices to make sure that they are equitable and really serving staff and clients. Um, you know, and as we implement that in our strengthened phase, this is where we start to see it and, and embed it into the organizational culture because we're really intent on building something that's sustainable. You know, even after we, we're done working with organizations, we want them to be able to build and continue on their equity and culture shift journey. Um, and that's where we get into shift. 
we make sure and we work with organizations that they have these sustainable practices that have a plan to move forward and keep implementing new policies, these new practices, these new ways of working, um, being really intentional on how they value and treat staff, customers, and clients. So those four pillars were see, strategize, strengthen, and shift. Right. What sectors and, and industries do you work with? Um, we will work with any structure. We work with, with organizations, institutions, companies of any sector, of any size. Um, I would say our smallest client is has three staff people, and you know we're currently working with an organization in Chicago that has over three that has over twelve hundred staff members. Uh, we've worked with nonprofit, we've worked with for profit, really any business or organization that wants to be intentional about equity and culture shift is someone we can work with. How does your approach change when you're working with that company that, like you said, has just three folks on staff versus a large company with 300? How do yeah, you tailor I mean, it differently? Yeah, I, we definitely by having one-on-one conversations and small group conversations to figure out what works best. So with a small organization, there will likely be more meetings and trainings um, and working with everybody on staff. Whereas with a larger organization, we would work to identify key stakeholders, work to make sure that there are representatives across departments, across different levels of the organization, and across different identity groups such as race, gender, social class, sexual orientation, to ensure that we're speaking to the needs of as much as possible of everyone in an organization. Mm-hmm. Jesse, can you talk to us then about the risks of, of not doing this work as an organization, right? So like when companies fail to factor in what you mentioned, race, gender, sexual orientation, and, and how those things play a part in work dynamics, what could happen? And there's there's so many things that could happen. There is, you know, one, the reality, and there's also the perception. The reality is that if you don't treat people well, they leave. Um, turnover is a difficult thing for any business or organization. It's expensive. It's impractical. It disrupts um, services. It disrupts morale. Um, and, and really uh, can, can just take an organization, a business, a program off its tracks. And then there's also the perception of not doing this work. You know, we're at a moment in time where folks are interested, where people are interested in hearing how businesses and organizations are being intentional about equity, how they're making sure that they're being inclusive Mm -hmm. of staff and clients and customers. And they have to be able to see that, that organizations are investing in this and being very intentional in doing this work. Jesse, what are some of the signs that a workplace is toxic or has toxicity within it? And I want to be clear when I ask that question because uh, what we mean when we say a culture is toxic can, can, can vary. I feel like some of us kind of overuse or misuse that word when it comes to professional and personal relationships. So what does it look like for a workplace to be toxic? Absolutely. You know, there's two ways of looking at it. There's the quantitative information and there's the qualitative information. The quantitative information is sometimes a little bit easier to see if you're willing to invest in that in that kind of audit. One is folks are leaving. And when you look at who is leaving an organization or a business, you know, when you think about turnover and when you think about people quitting or resigning, is it predominantly women? Is it predominantly black staff? Is it... Uh, predominantly, um, you know, 
folks of a specific group, be it gender, race, social class, um, and any other kind of identity. Mm -hmm. So being able to look at those numbers and, and seeing if there's a trend is one way to identify if, if there is a toxic environment for specific groups of people. The other one is, is qualitative. Um, what, are, what are staff saying? What are, what's the morale like in meetings? What are um, people saying about their experience? How does it feel when you're in a workspace? Are people speaking up? Are, are, are staff transparent with their managers? Are they able to come to leaders and people managers and bring up issues? Are those issues being addressed? Um, are you seeing a change in how people come into work, how they feel, how they're experiencing? And that takes a little bit more work and more intention. Mm -hmm. Speaking of intention, I would love to hear from you a bit more about your own personal values. What motivates you to do this work, Jesse? I am a born and raised Chicagoan. I'm, I'm the daughter of two immigrants um, that has grown up in Chicago and really grown up um, working in the nonprofit world. My, my first job was at a rape crisis, count, as a rape crisis counselor, and mm -hmm. I, I volunteered or, or done that work for on and off for 15 years. And right off the bat, I realized that it was really important to me to support and help people that maybe don't have the resources that I have, that maybe because of systemic and institutionalized oppression um, don't have access don't have the wherewithal or don't have even the words or, or the understanding of how to navigate systems um, and and realize that that's definitely the kind of work that I wanted to do. And I worked as a crisis counselor in workforce development in, in leadership development and then realized that in all those jobs, I was always on top of my own job thinking about things like racism and sexism and how to address them in addition to my day-to-day -day work and realize that this is something that I want to focus on, that, that I have, like, knowledge and power in this area and really want to put it yeah. um, to supporting people. And now four of you have gotten together, all women of color, uh, creating for the culture. How does that part help with the end goal? It's, we have a, what I, I like to think is a unique way of working. Um, for all of our, our clients, they get all four of us. Um, we collectively have over 50 years of equity and culture shift experience across a number of sectors, anti-violence, education, environmental justice, health equity, among others. And they get the benefit of, of different perspectives. Yeah. We're Black, Latina, Pakistani, of different religions, of different sexual orientations. So we really, even though we don't represent all marginalized communities, we do want to make sure we're bringing multiple perspectives to the work. We're almost out of time, but I'd love to hear a bit more about this work. Tell us the hardest problem or workplace dynamic that you've had to help an organization overcome and, and then what you specifically did to solve it. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is often the long-term commitment. Getting an, an, uh, an organization on board with making a long-term plan. You know, we often default to a quick training or a quick audit and then um, kind of seeing where it goes from there. This is ongoing work that requires future planning and a long-term commitment. Uh, so what we've done with organizations that have had that difficulty is really sit down and really lay out a plan and really just 
design our, our work around a commitment to a long-term ongoing plan um, that really speaks to the needs of the organization and does, you know, just continuous checks and balances to make sure the work is going in the right direction. That's Jesse Perez, founding partner of the consulting firm For the Culture. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date Friday, March 19, 2021. So I have been told last day of winter, if that means anything in the season of the Rona. But it is getting warmer. Days are getting longer. Neutralizing Workplace Racism, our weekly broadcast, hopefully to offer some constructive suggestions, logic on maybe how to think about process, solve problems in the workplace without creating new problems. Uh, If we have any non-white people, victims of racism who are listening live and you have figured out some things that work well, this has helped you solve some problems if you have been accused of not talking bam this is what you said this is what you did solve that problem never face that charge again if you need extra time off bam this is what you said this is what you did no problem got your vacation days they didn't try to pull any shenanigans and come around a week later and take it back from you or anything like that bam got that figured out you figured out what to say this works well to help get a raise anything else that would be constructive for other victims of racism to know 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate number again 720-716-7300 Seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. The email is untiljustice at gmail dot com. First segment that we heard before we get to the callers uh, that was NPR. They talked about. Burnout, something we had talked about, uh, we have not talked about enough, but we had talked about it recently, I feel like, towards the end of 2020. And I thought it was significant because they didn't mention white supremacy in the segment. They didn't even mention racism or white privilege. They did say discrimination. What Oprah said, it gets loaded once we start talking about racism. That's what Oprah Winfrey said. Uh, So, discrimination unfairness they said that one that's in the word guide Uh, but they mentioned that burnout is important because it can have all of these ramifications and I thought some of the different terms that we've talked about John Henryism that's when we talked about for the duration almost uh, here at the cows uh, and how uh, what they call black people have to work twice as hard to get half as far and there can be a health or there is a health consequence to that uh, with a lot of the hypertension, weight gain, a lot of the health problems uh, because of the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, but that burnout, and they said it in the report, being in an environment where there's unfairness, 
where there's they they use the metaphor throwing people under the bus in an environment where you can't trust anyone no sense of help a system of racism white supremacy check all of those boxes yep 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 and burnout that's why I thought it was important and they gave specific tips recommendations just monitoring how you feel what are some of the things that you can uh, control in the environment those are some of the things that you know we talk about you know already having a response already having expectations uh, correct accurate expectations uh, about how people are going to behave in your work environment victims of racism and racists <clears throat> but I thought that was important uh, and I think monitoring you know how stressed am I as it got into the point I'm coming home every day and I don't want to eat I don't want to do the normal things that I do to enjoy uh, my my time and energy when I'm away from the job I don't want to do those things now I'm just constantly stressed and talking about things that happen on the job like if that is the case and that is lingering like that's not just a one day thing where something happened or what have you but this is like going on and on and on like work is just an oppressive force in your life man new plantation there are constant like physical health consequences to being in those type of environments uh, for you know really any length uh, of time Pam talked about that too weight gain lots of different ways that it can manifest uh, the next segment ooh wee alright so I posted on my Facebook page I guess I will tweet it out as well uh, shiftyourculture.org that is the uh, for the culture organization uh, the second segment where they were talking about and they did mention racism institutional racism and all the rest in that segment uh, and, and working with companies to try to shift the culture as they say now if you go to the website I put, posted it as I said on my Facebook shiftyourculture.org Dot org. You can see the guest who was Jesse Perez. Uh, you'll see uh, if you go to meet the team, you'll see her and she gives her descriptions who I am, a second generation Latina based in Chicago, dedicated to fostering creative, inclusive, transparent spaces for equitable culture change. That sounds like a lot of rhetoric to me, as does a lot of what's on this website. You all would have to let me know. Do you think Jesse Perez would be accepted as white? You heard her in the interview. If you go to the website, shiftyourculture.org, meet the team, Jesse Perez, you can see her. She's the one that has the t-shirt on that says Latina. Now, for some people, they might say, hey, Gus T., you're an idiot. She's got the shirt on right there uh, that says Latina. Duh. Clearly, she is a white person. My response is, you know, hey, <laughs> I could be very well an idiot. Accused of that every day. However, Latina is not a racial classification. And unless I'm confused, they have, uh, what is it? All the tackiness. Hispanic Latino, they might even have Latina white. But is it or it's the other way? It's you know what always it's white Hispanic, 
white latina and all of that so i mean just because you got a t-shirt on with latina that does not answer the question so again do you think jesse perez would be accepted as white it was said in the broadcast that they're an organization of color and and all the rest of it i guess <laughs> you can look the other folks uh here uh or at least two of them no ambiguity they look like black people however one of them nia e martin robinson this one i thought was important and i will explain why who i am a queer black woman culture shift strategist and visionary who believes that as long as we are alive anything is possible and her shirt says defend black womanhood right on vgq um all of that is well and good but when you hear in vgq when you heard in the segment it was racism and sexism and they said in fact when they go to these organizations we talk about equal representation so we look for representation uh for gender for race for sexual orientation so if we're not really directly addressing white supremacy racism if this is going to be some conflation and all the rest of the thing that I noted in all of this mishmash here uh, we got someone who is racially ambiguous at least to me Uh, we got someone who identifies as queer someone who identifies as a black woman all over the place in all of this black male no black misandry no not represented at all and I've pointed that out before we did just hear uh, Chad Saunders he talked about his book I think that was right at the beginning of the month two weeks ago Uh, we did hear that report on Harvard Business Review but that's been my general experience this group has four uh, females allegedly all non-white that a lot of the times when they begin to focus on workplace racism even though they won't say racism it will become very female oriented so that they can shift and bring in a lot of white women and it will generally totally exclude black males completely in fact Allison Manswell black female she was on the cows 2016 she was on NPR she came on the cows we talked for longer we got about an hour and 15 minutes into the program and she said you know when I go out I talk I tell people to stand up be firm lots of self-respect in their voices but I don't say that to black males he said why is that she said man it is you talk about a loaded question she said man it's difficult to say but I feel like I almost have to tell them to emasculate themselves now if it's that bad in the workplace well then that should be if we're trying to shift the culture then that should be you know throw if we can if conflation can include all of those other components then addressing some issues of black males that would be helpful important towards producing justice methinks anywho uh, I would have lots of doubt I feel like especially if this is a white woman I feel like organizations like this and the Jane Elliott's and the Tim Watts this is why I was elated when our former president said you know what I'm done with all this all this critical race theory and trying to shame white people in the workplace we are not doing federal funding for any more of that get that out of here like bravo if that means we're not going to have any of this in the workplace grand let's just get back we can all do some work go clean the photocopier up get the uh, water room 
water cooler area cleaned and let's get back to work we don't need to waste time with conflation and particularly if the way it's going to be is as opposed to replacing white supremacy with justice we just do some conflation and go and bring in some people and say well oh, we got you know a queer person and we got some non-white females and blah 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 and we are great moving forward <laughs> like wait a minute what I think you just got a white like you got Elizabeth Warren here wait a minute Anyway, let's see. Lengthy list for workplace rape. But again, if you want to go to the webpage, Jesse Perez, do you think she would be accepted as white? Very important. She might have had lots of constructive information to say, and I might have just been confused by, you know, looking at the photograph. Next. So I. <sighs> lots so much to share I don't even know which direction to go let's see what's the let me see if I can try and do the most important first okay I was in Seattle uh, today I can book and I can give two for Seattle I was in Seattle today and I love Seattle man sometimes I forget the Rona season and being hunkered down especially in the wintertime when it's all dark and rainy and all the rest of it I can forget but wow when the sun is out like Seattle is the best plantation ever, 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 ever. Now, even still, still plantation. So while I was out strolling in Seattle, I always, uh, I generally just check the paper, uh, the Seattle Times online. But if I'm out and about, I'll actually get the hard paper. That way I can see what's on the front page and, you know, all the rest of it. So I see the hard copy paper, front page black newspaper delivery driver detained after Pierce County Sheriff claims then recants threat to life now I could you know try and play this off and say hey this didn't even happen in King County this happened in Pierce County but I mean (laughs) this uh, this happened in Tacoma Uh, Tacoma is like 30 minutes from in fact Tacoma is so close if you fly to the airport it's not the Seattle airport it's the SeaTac airport uh, Seattle Tacoma airport so I can't even really play this off like oh this this didn't even happen in Seattle this happened you know way out in Olympia or something yeah so anyway this happened in Tacoma for what that's worth uh, Pierce County Sheriff Ed Troyer sparked a massive police response in late January after confronting a black male driving near his home, telling a 911 dispatcher, the man threatened to kill me, an allegation he retracted upon questioning by Tacoma police. Whew, that's a lot to retract. The man was a newspaper carrier on his regular route. You know, they get those, they teach the Negras in prison. They teach them how to take that newspaper in origami and you can make like a flying star out of it so that you can and cut somebody's jugular, right? They teach you that one right up there where she can get that toothbrush. Continuing, the 24-year-old carrier, Cedric Alfheimer, I think that's it, Alfheimer, said the early morning encounter on January 27 left him afraid for his life. Burnout? Did we just talk about that? 
and angry at Troyer who was driving an unmarked personal SUV and didn't identify himself as law enforcement. Troyer, who is white, said he did not racially profile Althimer. Althimer. He said he began following the carrier because he saw a driver he believed was behaving suspiciously in his neighborhood in Tacoma's West End. There's nothing to do with him being black, Troyer told the Seattle Times. That's what that fella Robert uh, Aaron Long said after he shot up all those Asians. Eh, nothing to do with racism. Sex addict here. The newly elected sheriff expressed surprise. Tacoma police had written an incident report about the encounter, noting Alzheimer was not arrested. I thought they solved it that night, he said. Troyer's call to, to a 911 dispatcher, which came in shortly after 2 a.m. on Wednesday, spurred an urgent countywide alert that said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm, I feel like I got burned out just reading this. Jesus. Troyer's call to, 911, to a 911 dispatcher, which came in shortly after 2 a.m. on a Wednesday, spurred an urgent countywide alert that sent more than 40 officers from multiple agencies rushing toward the scene public record show most were called off after Tacoma police arrived Pierce County Sheriff claimed man he mistook for a prowler threatened to kill me (laughs) oh my goodness I'm sorry in an audio recording Oh, they do have audio. I could have played that. They do have the audio from this. In an audio recording, Sheriff Ed Troyer repeatedly claimed to a 911 emergency dispatcher over a special call-in line that a man who he suspected was prowling, that's what they said about Ahmad Arbery, was prowling homes in his neighborhood, had threatened his life. Troyer is a 35-year veteran of Pierce County's Sheriff Department, who for years served as the agency's public face and media spokesperson before being elected sheriff in November. His statements about what happened that night contain some inconsistencies at times contradicting his recorded call to an emergency dispatcher and uh, and diverging sharply on key points from what Alzheimer says happened. Early on January 27, Alzheimer was working his regular delivery route in his geo prism in Tacoma's West End when he said he noticed a big white SUV following him. I'm throwing papers out the window, left and right, both windows are down. I see this SUV hit the block, Alzheimer said. He said he didn't know it was the county sheriff behind the wheel of the unmarked Chevy Tahoe. The two passed each other and the SUV then turned around to follow him, Alzheimer said. He said the SUV tracked him as he stopped at houses as he does six six nights a week delivering newspapers including the News Tribune, Wall Street Journal, and the Seattle Times. I, I continue what I'm doing because, you know, I'm working. I'm not doing any harm to the neighborhood. I work here every night, Alzheimer said, adding that he has been had that he has been followed on his route before. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Troyer later told police he'd been at home when he heard a noise and went to investigate, according to the Tacoma police incident report. Irritated that the SUV kept tracking him, Alzheimer placed a newspaper in a plastic cylinder at a home, he said. Then he walked over to the SUV to ask why he was being followed. Pause right here. 
that is a horrible decision in my opinion VGQ I have not delivered newspapers ever in my life and certainly not at night but oh man I would not anybody if you have I, I hope nobody has to do nighttime deliveries like this seems really dangerous like I'm totally not surprised this is not the first time that this has happened like oh my god like you gotta be out uh, this night like creeping like I assume to do this you can't really be like zipping through the neighborhood so you're gonna have to be kind of driving slowly like oh my goodness I would not approach a vehicle if you feel that you're being followed if it gets to the point where you feel unsafe make a decision are you calling your supervisor it's so late at night it would probably be are you calling the police or I would stop the route go someplace public if he's gonna follow you stop the route go someplace public and then maybe you can you know decide if you want to call for assistance call the police whatever it is but I would get someplace public I would not you have no idea is this an enforcement officer is this George Zimmerman is this an Ahmad Arbery type situation like race soldier badge or no you got newspapers <laughs> like horrible decision I wouldn't care what you're doing delivery or otherwise do not same thing that I say this is not a time for confrontation especially that late at night like oh man he could have easy oh I thought he had a gun he came over aggressively I thought he was going to jack my vehicle and I had to shoot him eight times case closed continuing so he goes to the vehicle uh he said he thought Troyer looked familiar but didn't recognize him as he as the county's top law enforcement officer. So I asked him, who are you? Alzheimer said. He said Troyer didn't identify himself but asked what he was doing in the neighborhood and called me all type of names, accusing him of being a... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing because this is total terrorism, like he could have died. I was thinking they were going to call him a porch monkey because it does say porch accusing him of being a porch I said porch monkey they were gonna call him a porch monkey man he did not call him a porch monkey he says accusing him of being a porch pirate new one for Gus T slang for someone who steals packages from porches and he does so under the cover of throwing newspapers times watchdog reporting digs deep oh wait a minute wrong one Alzheimer said he asked whether he was being targeted as a black male driving an older car. He said he didn't disclose he was a newspaper carrier because he said he felt it was not the stranger's business to know. He says Troyer responded that he is not racist and that his wife is black. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm wounded. It is Seattle. Gotta be. I said if you have a problem and you feel like you're so in danger then you should just call the police unit and bring him out here so then he makes a comment like oh I got four cars on the way 40 he meant Alzheimer recalled Troyer saying I'm like congratulations not once did Troyer identify himself as a law enforcement officer Alzheimer said the Tacoma incident report said Alzheimer knew who Troyer was but Alzheimer said he only recognized Troyer's name after a Tacoma officer told him the county sheriff was driving the SUV. That's the crazy thing. I never did threaten him. I was just asking questions like, 
are you a cop? He said. In an interview, Troyer denied having any such conversation with Alzheimer. I didn't even know he was black until he was out of the car and the cops came. I never talked to him. I never talked to the guy. I couldn't even tell you that he looked all that black. Uh oh. <laughs> like, I cannot believe this. Let me give that one again. I couldn't even tell you that he looked all that black. Wait a minute. Because he said before he wasn't, he should have just stuck with that one. Like, just stick with what you said the first time. Less would have been more on this one. All that black? Like, what? Woof. Continuing, he also denied saying his wife is black. She is Pacific Islander. That's anti-Asian violence right there. He added that in his neighborhood, I am the only white man within five houses and I have a black grandson that lives with me. The final confrontation occurred, Alzheimer said, after he returned to his car and drove off, only to be followed by Troyer again. At that point, he said he wheeled his car around, leaving the two men facing each other at North 27th Street and Deidre Circle. Alzheimer said he and Troyer flashed their lights at each other. At that point, Alzheimer snapped photos of Troyer's SUV. Amid the standoff, Troyer called 911 dispatcher, saying Alzheimer was making threats to kill him according to an incident report by Tacoma police officer Chad Lawless who responded to the call. Audio of Troyer's call released to the Seattle Times after a public records request reveals him asking for help with sometimes conflicting statements like he didn't look all that black. Hey, it's Troyer. His call begins. I'm at 27th and Deidre in Tacoma, in North End, about two blocks from my house, and I caught someone in my driveway who dressed, who just threatened to kill me, and I blocked him in. He's here right now. They totally could have killed him. Later in the 911 call, Troyer said the other driver had him blocked in. He described Alzheimer's 1995 Geo Prism as beat up and homeless looking. He also said on the call the car had gone up his driveway, but later said there was no room in the driveway. On the call, Troyer said, I'm trying to be polite to him, but he says I'm a racist and wants to kill me. <laughs> Do not confront what man. Troyer's call for help was dispatched at the highest priority, White Lives Matter, and was broadcast to all law enforcement agencies in the South Sound, according to the incident report. In all, 42 units from multiple agencies, including sheriff's deputies and state troopers, initially responded. He so could have died. According to a dispatcher's recorded conversation about the call with an officer later that day. I didn't expect that big of a response. Come on. Troy, he had just, come on. The dispatcher told the officer that Troyer previously had prompted an officer needs help call. <laughs> There's only one other type of call that warrants a higher emergency response. That of a lahar, a catastrophic mutts. <laughs> I can't even, come on. Come on. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, who could even make this up? Oh, my God. Come on. Let me get it together. Let's see. There's only one other type of call that warrants a higher emergency response, that of a lahar, a catastrophic mudslide that could be triggered if Mount, <laughs> if Mount Rainier erupted. 
When police arrived in the neighborhood, they found Alzheimer seated in his car in the middle of the street facing Troyer, who was in his Tahoe about 50 feet away, according to the police report. Alzheimer said he was upset and shouted at officers. I am a black man in a white neighborhood and commented on the number of officers who had arrived at the scene, according to the police report. In an interview, Alzheimer said he was both angry and frightened by the sudden rush of police cars from multiple directions and was careful to keep his hands in sight. <laughs> One of the officers had drawn a gun. I'm sure many of them had. They definitely scared me. I was really shocked. <laughs> Understatement, Alzheimer said. I'm yelling, what are you guys here for? What am I doing wrong? You guys are tri trying to arrest a paper carrier. Alzheimer said. These police officers just wasted a gallon of gas speeding over here for what? I'm giving the people the news and I'm going home. I've got five kids. They were almost fatherless at the officer's command. Alzheimer got out of his car and was frisked for... Uh, I almost don't want to read anymore, but this is unbelievable. <laughs> like, what in the world? Uh, Alzheimer got out of his car and was frisked for weapons. He explained he was a newspaper carrier and said he gave police permit. Oh, that is horrible. Oh worst decision you can make we've talked about this before uh we had uh the former chief of the seattle uh police norm stamper on the program he has it in his book in all capital letters in bold face print never give consent for enforcement officers to search your person your vehicle your property or your residence never and it's in bold face print all capital letters former chief of police we talked about this in 2016 in detail as to the why it's in the archives uh, this is one of the worst if you just had a police officer who lied he might have accused you of setting off an eruption at Mount Rainier uh, who knows what they're going to find if they search your vehicle never consent to a search of your person your property your vehicle or your residence without a warrant this is one I have used personally for years one of the worst decisions at least in my opinion he made two really horrible decisions where his children could have easily not had a father or not seen their father for years and years and years and years let's see don't read it it's amazing uh, they searched the vehicle they, the back seat of his car was filled with newspapers, the police report noted. Maybe crack cocaine. Troyer told Lawless, the Tacoma officer, he'd been at home asleep when he heard something outside and saw someone driving in and out of driveways in the area, according to the incident report. He got in his car and attempted to make contact, the report states. When Lawless asked Troyer when he'd been threatened, as his call to dispatchers repeatedly had claimed, the sheriff advised that Alzheimer never threatened him and said he had seen no weapons still Troyer said he was sure that Alzheimer wanted to fight according to the report in an interview Troyer said that Alzheimer was yelling and screaming I couldn't even tell what he was saying 
jeez. Uh, I'm going to stop there. There's a little bit more. This is incredible. All of that to say, wow, this is Seattle. Uh, I, again, I could try and say, well, this happened in Tacoma, but this is Seattle. Uh, this is on the front page of the newspaper uh, today in Seattle, along with the anti-Asian violence in Lorona and all that. But this is front page news in Seattle, workplace racism, just trying to deliver newspapers. We have talked for a year. If you are a delivery driver, it is imperative it is mandatory. You have to have a code for what to do when a white person accosts you on the road. In my opinion, that code, it is mandatory. It can never be that you confront whomever this person is. It's been so many of these incidents that never goes well. Do not confront. You are not there to call names. What are you doing? Following me? Do you have it? Get in your vehicle, make a decision. Do I need to call my supervisor? Do I need to call the police? Do I need to get to a public place where I will be safe, where there is a crowd, where I can get assistance? In my view, you do not want to confront. You have no idea if this person, uh, this officer here, Mr. Troyer, he's on his home turf. He could have all kinds of weapons and what have He's an officer, so he's got access to all kinds of weapons. You have no idea. You just got newspapers. Same thing if you're you know, delivering in any capacity. You're probably not armed and ready for lethal combat. You're out delivering boxes or whatever it is. So, I mean, no confrontation and never, ever consent to a search of your person, your property, your vehicle, or your residence without a warrant things could that's in the word guide to never say things could be worse but I mean woof. Mr. Alzheimer could easily be dead right now or in greater confinement with whatever they found in his vehicles hidden in the batch of newspapers next wow I cannot believe that that is way more than I bargained for uh, let's see so I th- all of that distracted from, I was in Seattle and said, wow, this is the best plantation ever. What a great day. You could feel the spring. The cherry blossoms were popping. And even though Seattle does look, you know, battered from the Rona and the rioting and all the rest of it, like, man, it is, it is not as vibrant as things were pre-pandemic. But that notwithstanding, it is still magnificent plantation. Now, with all of that said, I was walking out of the grocery store at Pine and Broadway white man suspected race soldier is bumming for quarters I don't accost him I don't call him names or mock him you should have talked to your guidance counselor I go on about my way as I pass him he begins shouting nigger no count niggers dirty niggers no count and I'm immediate same thing I just said no confrontation let's get out of here I have no idea if he's armed does he have a knife a machete like get out of here uh, so I'm going getting away getting away getting away and I'm not sure I uh, couldn't tell because I'm focused on get away distance distance and there's a female could have been a non-white non-black female could have been suspected racist female uh, she turns around she says oh I'm I'm so sorry you you had to experience that. That's just awful. 
system of white supremacy. What you know? <laughs> I know what it is. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And uh, we continue to scurry away. But even within all of that, so that's why I always say it is the plantation. Oh, and the only reason that I shared that this happened exactly in the location where Daniel Gregory was shot almost a year ago protesting the murder of George Floyd I said at that time when he was shot black male uh, somebody wheeled uh, into their protest pulled out a firearm and shot him he survived thankfully Uh, but I said I have crossed that intersection like probably thousands of times uh, since I've been in such a central part of the city I'm there all the time and just crossed it today and it took about three or four seconds to think oh man that is right where Daniel Gregory was shot just a few months ago at the protest in fact they had the tacky uh, graffiti Black Lives Matter stenciled right in the middle of the road where he was shot at and where I was called a nigger at today Black Lives Matter yes yes they can put that tackiness on somebody and it was everywhere they have that blazed all over signs anyway uh, let's see there was one other tidbit I'll get and then we'll get to the callers I guess I'll read one email see if I can get cat caught up on the emails from callers uh, person wrote in last week I think it was the caller in Florida who talked about uh, some of the white people on the job they came around with like snack treats maybe I think it was ice cream they came around with ice cream and they had the, he said that they had the, the ice cream song that goes with the ice cream truck you know so the caller wrote in I was just listening to last week's neutralizing workplace racism program. The caller from the Florida courthouse shared a story of the suspected racist playing the ice cream song around a cooler. From what I hear about these suspected racists, they sound very refined, and I think they possibly knew about the racist origin of the ice cream song and were practicing racism under the guise of just being nice and providing ice cream. I could be wrong, but it would not surprise me. I know about the origins of the racist ice cream song. And in fact, that is not a hidden thing. NPR did a big report, or I think several, uh, not that long ago. Uh, I think like 2014, maybe they did a big report and they were talking about the racist or exactly what he said, racist origin of the ice cream truck song. And oh my gosh, who would have known? And let's come up with a better song. And they had all these goofy competitions so they can change it up and all the rest of it. But I am certain that the click members in uh, I was about to say Southville the click members in North Florida I am certain they know that too these folks are not ignorant about racism so yes I agree 1000% and and I think he said that they rushed over to the black people like let's play the ice cream jingle and rush over to the nigger section and hand out you know some chocolate ice cream bars and giggle Get out of here. Very observant. Much obliged. Uh, I've called it the email again is untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, Jesse Perez might have got confused in all of the wackiness here in Seattle uh, Jesse Perez if you check the site out you can let us know if you think she's classified as white or not uh, folks who dialed in on the phone lines if you have commentary to share lines should be open proceed 
Can I be heard? Uh, Mo in Dallas. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus. Uh, greetings, listeners and callers. Uh, again, thank you for the program. Um, starting with uh, Jesse Perez, I actually looked her up even before you uh, even before you asked your question, um, and I thought she was a white woman. Um, I am a victim confused about racism, but she looks white to me. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that she was wearing the shirt saying Latina or let whatever it said, um, she looks white, simple enough. Uh, uh, and I, I, I and, the, and she like, I don't know if this is right to say, but she even sound, she sounded white. So I was like, let me see, you know, who this is, you know, with the, with, who is this person with before the culture you know, just just moniker, and I thought it was a white woman. I didn't even notice the shirt that said Latino until you mentioned it. I just like, oh, that's a white lady. That's again, found some way to you know, kind of uh, receive some sort of affirmative action funding or something like that. Um, um, and it was um, interesting to uh, uh, that you noticed that there were no men um, involved in that organization. Uh, and I suspect even if they did uh, have a black man, uh, he too would be one of those. Uh, I, I, and I'm just, you know, uh, just assuming, but he he would probably be a an intersectionalist, LGBT something something like he he would have. He wouldn't he wouldn't just be a. a, a, a it would it wouldn't behoove them, in my opinion, for them to. Uh, implore uh, a straight black male that was interested in uh, pursuing in pursuing uh, justice. You know, like I I, I wouldn't see that. Uh, just uh, I believe uh, uh, burnout. It, it is a real thing. Um, um, I actually had a job that uh, and and uh, I had a job this year, but I'm talking about one maybe three years ago. Um, I actually lost. 50 pounds. When I started the job, I weighed uh, 180 pounds, and by the time I quit the job, uh, I weighed 130 pounds. Um, and I wasn't eating. You know, I wasn't uh, sleeping well. I, I would pretty much just sleep and go to work and sleep and go to work, and and it it did take a toll on my body. It took me about two and a half years to to get back to a comfortable weight. And it, and it was, a, it was a gradual progression. Um, like I actually had to have people that hadn't seen me in a while, see me and tell me I looked bad. It was, it was really, 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 um, it was disheartening to them. And it was confusing until I just started looking at old pictures of myself and comparing them. So yeah, I, I burnt down on more than one occasion with, with jobs and that. And, um, this is why like earlier this year, um, I quit my second job. I, I was, you know, uh, I, I I understood. I didn't I, I didn't have the terminology for burnout, but I knew what it was, and I um uh, I, I felt myself burning out, and I just I let it go because it wasn't worth it. Um, uh, at that particular place of employment, um, they they hired a lot of uh, the, well, I'll say majority of the staff had criminal records. Um, and I don't, and I I didn't like the way that they were talking to the majority of the black staff with the criminal records, and they would talk to me the exact same way, and I, it was just 
like um it was it was it was very difficult to deal with and it was it was the management creating the uh, uh in my opinion a hostile work environment um uh as far as the um individual uh delivering the newspapers he did make a few uh vital mistakes uh, uh confronting the uh the the enforcement official following him is a big no uh walking to a strange car at any time of the day like he could have got shot right there you know and uh and 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 apparently the officer was actually setting him up for the kill you know uh with the uh, with 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 his call in to dispatch and and saying these things, you know, and and I, I recently finished. I'm, I'm talking about earlier today the uh, the Wednesday call uh, when uh, the program had Dr. Tate on it, and a quote stuck out to me when the when the white officer said that you know I have a black wife if if that, if that is what he said. Dr. Tate said that white men married to black women get away with more. Uh, she said that, uh, which was which 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 seems to be what this enforcement official was doing. You know, he was he was validating that he couldn't be racist because he is uh, practicing uh, racism with his wife. <laughs> you know, like I can't be racist. I got a I got a wife. I subjugate. What are you talking about? So like it, it was uh it was all like that man, um, the, the paper carrier, is lucky to have his life. He is wrong for not uh, for, for submitting to a, a search and seizure. He could have easily had something planted in his car that like that that had him sent away, you know. And they they could have Khalif Browdered him, you know. I think I think that's who it was. The, the young man that was in uh, New York in New York State that was accused of stealing a backpack that never went missing or something and. And they would have just, you know, he, he could have got that treatment, you know, just, just sitting in jail for years, you know, for, for walking up to a car and, and, and being misinformed about what situation he was really in. Uh, oh, uh, that's all I have, sir. I'll mute my line for now. Much obliged. Uh, burnout is real. Uh, lots of, of terms to point on it, but I mean, it is, man, it can go both ways. I think I've mentioned before because we had Pam on and she talks about it in her book. We talked about it on the program and, you know, just the where you start neglecting self-care uh, because just the oppressiveness of the work environment becomes so all consuming. And like they were saying, you don't shower or you don't sleep or you don't do if you you know used to exercise or used to write or whatever play instruments or whatever you just don't even do that like you said you just go to work come on go to bed go to work come on go to bed like not even do anything and you don't even realize that that's the stupor uh that you're in uh that it can take somebody else to be like whoa you do not look good like what is going on like uh that's why it can take a huge toll uh on our physical health mental health like you said it took a while uh and pam has talked about that uh also uh where it's just so freaking again they said in the segment on burnout environments that are unfair produce burnout so i mean 
system of racism, white supremacy. It is designed to burn out black employees. Be very mindful of that. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, line should be open. Proceed. see while folks are getting their thoughts together see if I can get through some of the other oh yeah oh wait a minute hmm. can I be heard <clears throat> thought I uh, what the heck that is so not cool this person uh sent us an audio file for workplace racism but then I didn't get the file so I'll write them back and see if we can get it in the meantime uh, retired firefighter in Florida uh, yes sir greetings Gus greetings to everybody everyone uh, yeah the only the only, the only uh, information that I retained was uh, this uh, female's name and I put that in Jesse Perez what what other distinction that I can possibly put in into uh, my uh, search engine that would, excuse me that would give uh, clarity on who this person is? Uh, if you can, can I answer that, guy? Oh yes, sir. Uh, I t- uh, retired fire firefighter. I typed in Jesse Perez, and it spelled um, J E S S I. Perez, P-E-R-E-Z, and I typed in for the culture. That's how I found it. For, for the culture? For the culture? Yes, sir. That's what I typed in. Because there are a few Jesse Perez's. I noticed that when I just Yeah, it, it, it seems to be, be that all of the females in Puerto Rico named Jesse Perez. <laughs> there were so many of them. <laughs> yeah, but, so okay, I typed yeah, in I, I, for the culture. I, right, spell it. J E S S I. Yes, sir. And say that say that term again. For the culture. For the culture. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As far as uh, burnout is concerned, uh, I can recall uh, on workplace racism that we had a conversation on that. Uh, before, uh, and it is important to keep repeating it. It is important. Uh, it is essential. But what I was thinking about, especially on the uh, profession that I was involved in, uh, because that term came up around a lot of white people <laughs> on that job that I was on. And uh, I'm sitting here just imagining their behavior and their daily 24-hour work assignment was to operate in areas where 99% of the residents were non-white people who were racially classified as black. And, uh, well, the, the first word that comes next to that would be terror or terrible as far as the behavior. Uh, 
you know, I mean, especially I mean, it's bad even if the person is quote unquote healthy and and is not considered to be uh, worn out. But I'm just imagining a white person that is uh, worn out, but still working. Because I mean, the, the ones that I worked around, uh, and and I would say probably about ninety five percent of my career was in areas where non white people who were registered classified as black lived. So, and it was white people there all the time, as far as on duty is, is what I'm saying. And uh, so the the whew, the experiences. Uh, you know, uh, they but they never they they never did it around me, primarily because I I, I had somewhat of a reputation uh, on the job, but I would hear about a lot of things from other non-white people on some of the things that uh, certain people would say and do in the workplace inside of a non-white black person's place of residence from the subtle to whereas they wouldn't wipe off their shoes coming inside of their house. Uh, they would call them, they would call the, the non-white person. Let's say some cases would be, she would be in her eighties. They would call her by first name instead of making, making a, uh, making an effort to, address that person, you know, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, Mrs. Williams, you know, that sort of thing. And I mean, and, and the, the white person talking, the white person talking to the non-white person would be young enough to be her great grandchild, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it from a standpoint of a common racist standpoint, I'm saying it from a standpoint of courtesy. That's that's basically what I'm I'm uh, speaking about because I I think I understand the counter racist issue when it comes to uh, the status of non white people under the system of racist white supremacy. But uh, yeah, uh, I uh, I can uh, understand that. But anyway, uh, let me let me before I forget again and after ask the. the for help again, let me let me uh, go over it, and I I can give you a uh, analysis, self analysis, of what I think the person looks like for the culture, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, all right. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, that's been my experience as well. Um, most of the time when I heard uh, the term burnout used, it was in reference to uh, someone classified as white. Uh, it was not, I do not recall. Um, I, I mean, when I say recent, I mean like maybe within the last year or so, like very recent. Like previously, it was generally not associated with non-white people. It was white people get burned out. Um, generally in terms of uh, work related things it would just be more black people are, are lazy and shiftless and that sort of thing not that they're 
uh, terrorized and mistreated and, you know, all the rest of it and burned out as a result of, you know, the really tacky uh, and trashy workplace experiences that we experience. Um, Yeah, that's pretty typical, as is a lot of the, you know, trashiness that he that he talked about that would lead to burnout, them not calling you by your proper names and all the rest of a lot of that that we've talked about here uh, on the broadcast of workplace racism over the years. Uh, let's see. Uh, while we go to nab some of, I'll get in one email and then we'll nab some of the other callers. Uh, this is black female victim of racism. Uh, she says <clears throat> contact tracer. So today we had another meeting to discuss this documentation evaluation. I just find it highly suspicious, extremely suspicious that what they are evaluating you on was not part of the original plan. I had partnered up with this white woman. She's new to the team to give her tips on how to complete interviews. There are two sections I advised weren't necessary to ask those who are currently positive with COVID. The two questions are the physician info and the emergency contact info and the reason why it's not necessary to ask is that we are not going to use this information. We are not medical professionals and there is absolutely no reason to get that information. Once again, we are not medical professionals. So after partnering with this white woman, we have to send a summary of what we learned from each other. The white woman wrote what I told her, which was fine with me because I have been working there for close to a year and never asked for those two questions. And even at one point during a live quality check review, I was told it wasn't necessary to ask. In today's meeting, while they are going over what's being evaluating, Seemingly, those two questions cost you eight points each if you miss them. So if that field is not entered at all, then that's 16 points. You have to get an 85 to pass. And please note, it is said you are not being graded out of 100. I find this highly suspicious and quite frankly dumb. They are doing this on purpose as all they do is pick at you for things that mean nothing. Also, those sections on the interview were the only two things mentioned in the meeting. The manager didn't say anything else in regards to the interview form. I also noticed she kept bringing up something I did, which was not a big deal because another manager said it was okay, but my manager kept bringing it up during the meeting and tried to generalize it, but she practically said verbatim what she wrote me in an email in the meeting. Everything is so suspicious, childish, and time-wasting. Lots of that in the system of white supremacy. Now, take all of that and play it back to the section on burnout. Working with people who are not trustworthy and feeling like you are being sabotaged, set up. Incidentally, this is one where she talked about the change in protocol where originally she was told, oh, no, those two questions don't need to be completed. They're not, you know, vital. 
And now it's, oh, wait, my, my goodness, you lose eight points apiece. You know, you might fail the whole course if you leave these questions blank. That's one of those where the original evaluation, where it's always great if you can get that in writing. If this is a quality review or what have you, this is in writing that these questions are not. That way you have the date and time. So if now that's changed, you can ask, well, hey, we did a quality check-in review sometime in the last year. Uh, June, October, and it says right here that these two questions do not need to be asked. So at what point since October, June, whenever it was, did this change? And that's when you can get that in writing too. Maybe ask via email because that's it shouldn't see it shouldn't be things like that that are just you know total complete changes in policy and procedure that catch you unawares. That shouldn't happen, especially if they're doing things on the up and up, as they say. If this if they are going to make a change make it flagrant you send around a flyer you send around an email you have a meeting maybe you do all of the above remind people in the meeting we had a change in policy now we want to make sure that we answer a question to make sure everybody's on the same you know page as they say if they don't want to do that they just want to be tacky about it and then come around and as she said nitpick waste time be childish there's lots of that in the system of white supremacy uh, let's see other folks who dialed in that we have missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Uh, heard both of you. Uh, we'll nap Emmy first. Proceed. I really appreciate it. Usually I would uh, consent or you know yield, but I'm going to try to get this in before I lose service. So for burnout, I think one thing that we don't understand kind of really what is burnout, they always give like a definition, but I burned out once and someone told me I was going to burn out, but I didn't believe them because I didn't think it was possible. I just have a lot of energy and I'm very goal oriented, so I just didn't think it was possible. And uh, after it happened, I said, oh my goodness, this is what this is, you know? And for me, the way I conceptualize burnout is, you know, if I'm a candle and I have a flame, that it literally burns out. The flame goes away. I just, I don't have it anymore. And so I kind of visualize that because I have to think about protecting it. Another concept I kind of struggled with is, like, what is a boundary? Even now, it's, a, it's language that gets thrown around, but I don't really understand really what is a boundary. So I kind of had to think about that too. And for me, the way I conceptualize a boundary is if I exist in space and there's, you know, space around me and I'm kind of, I don't like to be touched, so I definitely know about like personal touch boundaries. So I visualize that. And then everything past, you know, that imaginary line is them outside, external, and everything on this side closer to me is internal, and then there's a line. That line is the boundary. But then I said, okay, well, what does it mean to have a boundary, like, in, in other areas? Like, I know a physical boundary, but how you have it in other areas? So I actually did a journaling exercise last night to put it all on paper because my life is about to drastically change, and I uh, need to get things out so that I make sure I'm clear about the steps I'm going to take. Another thing that I, rec I advise people to do, journal, if you are trying to figure things out. And I wrote 
you know, one of the sections for the journaling exercise was work in school because I'll start medical school soon. So I know what to expect. Uh, and it's predominantly white, of course. And so, you know, things like if people don't listen to me or they try to invalidate me or they try to use me or they try to have me do all the work, and I said, okay, the way for me to understand the boundary is to have the code. How am I going to respond and then have pre-programmed responses? Um, another way that I kind of envisioned the boundary was um, what attributes that I would need to have in that environment to have the outcome that I want. So it means I have to be very confident, have very high self-esteem. And so I used to talk about having a mask long ago when I first started calling in, but that mask was more of a protective thing, like, okay, how to function in white spaces with a mask, but now it's kind of different, the persona. So say something is difficult for Emmy to do, um, like in these spaces, maybe I clamp up or whatever, I step into this arena or this field, and so I'm able to enforce that boundary, which is the line I won't let people cross. Otherwise, back to the burnout, that flame, it's kind of like if you've had a candle in your, or you've had a fire, you're trying to build a fire and the wind is blowing really strong and you try to protect it with your hands, that's the boundary. So my hands are kind of the boundary. Like this is where you're not allowed to come before you start making my flame flicker and almost go out. So that was kind of a roundabout way. But for me, it was really hard to internalize boundaries, um, burn out. What is it that I'm really protecting? And the flame is my energy, my vital life energy, my life force. What makes me, I think, awesome, you know, because people, I think, want to, you know, take that away and stifle it and, and make it go away. Um, what else? Another thing I wanted to point out was that when it comes to, like, it's possible to burn out in other areas of your life as well. So I wanted to say that even though this is workplace racism, so that, when you think about your boundaries and, like, your energy being drained, you think about it from, you know, a whole bunch of different areas and maybe doing a journaling exercise where you ask your question, you know, you ask yourself um, certain questions to help you get there. I Googled boundary journaling exercises, and that's how I came up with it. I didn't look up Jesse, whatever her name is, um, but I'll take your word for it. And about that, Gus, I'm so grateful that you always bring up black men um, because it is so easy to forget how unincluded and um, forgotten, neglected, abused black men actually are in the system of racism and white supremacy. So thank you for always doing that. And then I also wanted to kind of touch on a little bit about, because I see the trend of black women or females having sexual confusion and being the voice for all of that, quote, unquote, the voice for all of that. And I've been wondering, you know, what is that about? You know, because I understand if you would want to have a black man who is sexually confused because he's emasculated and doesn't pose a threat, but why is it that with the black women in the sexual confusion? And I think it's the exact same thing, um, but she does, if she's sexually confused, She's not going to pose a threat to the white woman's um, feeling of her femininity. And I've been thinking about this for a while because I actually think that black women get to, and let me speak for myself, I get to definitely reclaim my femininity as a way, as a, um, 
empowering way to combat racism, white supremacy. It's a, it's a bigger thing, and I'm not really trying to go into it, but it's something I wanted to put out there if there are other black women who are kind of feeling that, too, that their femininity has been stripped away from them and somehow functions to keep racism, white supremacy going, that when I operate from my, what I call divine feminine space, that it changes the dynamic um, a little bit. And I find that I then now deal with kind of, because I've been on both sides, like, you know, confused, not confused and all of that, or not as confused and whatnot. And white women and white people definitely respond better to sexually confused black men and women. Black men, I understood black women, not so much. But it's, be, I think, because when a black woman stands in her femininity, it is a threat to white women's femininity in every area of life, but especially in the workplace. Um, and what else did I want to say? I actually think that's it. Um, I'll leave it there. If other things come up, maybe I'll chime in later if there's time. But I really do thank you for um, listening to me and taking my call. Namaste. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Although non-Clemson grad is on deck, uh, I just wanted to say. Oh, go ahead, we, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sure, we'll get, come back to get you as well. Uh, just to make sure that we nab, yes, uh, or to make sure I don't forget, I taught yoga uh, this morning. Man, it has been the craziest week. Almost died multiple times, and time changed. They stole an hour from us, and everything else wacky that uh, has happened, uh, treacherous and all, uh, over the past seven days and everything else. Taught yoga today. All black people saw Dr. Ruby and had a black female say, hey, I'm thinking about doing the 200-hour teacher training. Do you have any tips or suggestions? Oh, my goodness. More black yoga instructors. That is awesome. Like it. More black people. That way we do not have to rely on race soldiers to give us instruction for something that can be very helpful with self-care and burnout. Kind of make sure that you are checking back in with the basics, breathing and such. But yes, more black yoga instructors. Love it. Uh, non-Clemson grad, much obliged for your patience, sir. All right. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Very cool. Um, I did not look at the Jesse Peroyes thing, but um, despite what she may look like, I'll just say that um, as far as the United States Census is uh, concerned, uh, 66% of Hispanics identify as white. Um, I'm personally confused by that because, you know, I see a couple of tan ones, maybe a little dark skin ones, but again, 66% of Hispanics, as far as the U.S. consensus is um, concerned, identifies white. As for the burnout thing, um, well, <laughs> last year, like I said last week, I took no time off work because I was working from home. But when I do work from um, going to office as I am back in the office, my wife definitely encouraged me to take days off, so much so that I'm actually taking the day off after a good Friday for me and my wife to go um, hang out and do something other than me going to work um, for that week. Um, but I do have a couple of stories. I wrote a three-page report, and then outside of that, I'm going to hand it off to my wife unless she might talk a little bit later in the program. But here it goes. On Wednesday, it's a yeah, three-page report. On Wednesday, March 17th, my department branch 
was in a meeting along with the department director for a project we, we're all working on together. During the meeting, the suite administrator comes to the conference room where we're all sitting to let us know about a tornado watch warning for March 18th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. She informs us that the conference room where we were, where we were, where we were, will be used as a shelter during a tornado event, along with the director's office next door to the conference room. This would include all office, office staff and all citizens who might be in the building near the conference room who would need to shelter during a tornado. Remember the part about citizens for later. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, during the coronavirus pandemic. The next day, March 18th, I overheard a conversation the county um, assistant administrator has with my department branch manager. She informs my department branch manager that staff wasn't allowed to work from home just because there's a tornado watch warning, even if staff had the capacity to work from home due to coronavirus. <clears throat> Later on that day, I have a conversation with my mother about multiple subjects. The first subject is the embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Currently, there are multiple females accusing the governor of sexual misconduct. Personally, I don't know if it's true or not, but one thing I learned from the situation like this is that don't be so quick to respond. I had this conversation with the black African, one of the um, participants in the first yoga retreat, multiple times because of the situation dealing with white females as he makes his way through his teacher program. Just because someone accuses you of something, not that he got accused of sexual um, misconduct. Just because someone accuses you of something doesn't mean you did something, did something nor they have um, any proof of it. Because, you're, um, because your response to an accusation can be used as proof of your guilt. When you don't respond to accusation, it's then left to the accuser to pursue proof of your wrongdoing. But if you respond to accusation for any, any evidence is presented, the accuser no longer has to provide proof. Black people, on the other hand, tend to respond emotionally like they have to defend themselves from the mere accusation causing their black person undue stress. But like the New York governor said, if these women have proof, I'll see you in court. In my personal opinion, if white women are accusing a governor of any sexual misconduct, it's probably because he promised them something, like a pay raise or a promotion, then didn't deliver. Or rather, they offer some type of sexual advance so they can get a raise or promotion. The governor took the sexual advance and didn't provide any pay or, prom or promotion. White women are not above using sex to advance in the workplace, and when it doesn't work out, screaming sexual misconduct. Ironically, this type of ploy works great against the Bill Colleges of the world, not necessarily the Andrew Cuomo's of the world. And if black women make such allegations against the white male, black women will find themselves maligned, ostracized, fired, and maybe even banned from their profession. For this reason, if you are going to make any accusations against someone, the first step is documenting the transgression. I've been documenting a situation I have at work dealing with a former county councilman applying for federal grants, which come up as nothing more than a kickback scheme. Aside from the documentation, I've all, I'm also in charge of designing the standard operating procedures for grant applications in my position. And with this, I've created a crucible so complex for the former councilman that no matter what he does, I'm likely to be likely to be unharmed because the rules are for everyone while ensuring the due diligence of all parties involved. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. I told my mother about a black male I was going into business with as a consultant. Recently, he got fired from his job due to an uh, incompetent white female manager. To aid him in, to aid him in his future um, jobs, I gave him a couple of the examples of some of the workplace reports I write, like the one I'm reading to everyone right now, so he understands how he must document transgressions at work when it happens. This was a something... This way, if something happen, um, happens days, weeks, months, or even years later, 
he has evidence to protect himself. I say all this not to blame my friend, but to give him tools for dealing with situations like this in the future. I juxtapose this to a conversation I had with my mother about Meghan Markle royal family debacle. Too many people are blaming Meghan Markle for marrying into the royal family. I reiterate to my mother that every non-white person has some level of naivete that leads them to be mistreated by a white person. Non-white people make bad decisions and even mistakes. Nevertheless, it's more important to talk about the victimizer, not the victim. In the words of Daniel Kaluuya, this is the equivalent of getting robbed, going to the police station, and after hours of waiting to make a police report, the police ask you, why do you think you got robbed? This question a lot lets you know two things about the police. Either the police are incompetent at their job or the police don't care. You might not agree with police people, um, um, black people's decisions, uh, decision-making, but let's not forget who controls the environment that creates the outcomes. At this point, my mother said she's not blaming Meghan Markle, but Meghan Markle herself doesn't identify as a, as a black woman. I reminded my mother that it doesn't matter, doesn't change the fact that Meghan Markle is still a victim and, is not, um, and the people mistreating Meghan Markle are still the victimizers. Even if Meghan Markle was to identify as a black woman tomorrow, you still have to deal with the fact that she married into a racist family who's responsible, who's responsible for centuries of colonization and white supremacy all over the world. Also, I said to my mother, are you not are um, are you are you not agreeing with Meghan Markle and not identifying as black is the equivalent of asking a woman who dressed provocatively who got raped why didn't you why did you dress provocatively? My mother's response responded that she was annoyed by the question. Then I equated that my mother taking issue with Meghan Markle not identifying as a black woman is the same as a woman who dressed provocatively being asked why she dressed provocatively. Then we talked about how Kate Middleton is praising the media while Meghan Markle is criticizing the media for doing the exact same behavior. Then my mother brought up an example in the media where Kate Middleton made Meghan Markle cry only for the media to spin the narrative that Meghan Markle made Kate Middleton cry. I reiterated, just, um, you just gave an example of Meghan Markle being mistreated by Kate Middleton and the media. So even with Meghan Markle's decision-making, my mother is articulating the problem here is how Meghan Markle is being mistreated, not that Meghan Markle doesn't identify as black, to which my mother said, you're right. Before ending the call, I reiterated that black people spend more time victim uh, vilifying the victims by name-calling them as sellouts and coons than addressing the victimizers. Later on that evening, I got to discuss the tornado warning policy with my manager and my coworker. The department branch administrator was working from home after asking the director to work from home the day before due to the tornado warning. I heard a couple of staff were able to work from home in other branch departments, including the director, but the director worked from home because the schools were closed, were closed down due to tornado warning, and he had to look after his son. So what caused all this confusion, and some staff was, a and some staff was able to work from home while other staff wasn't even told, let alone asked to work from home? First, the county, the county has a policy that you don't get to work from home just because of a potentially bad weather. Also, county staff aren't told to go home or work from home unless the order comes down from the county administrator. So when the director allowed workers to work from home, the director was in violation of county policy. But why did the director make such a decision? Now, this is only my conjecture. First, the director is, in a new, the director is new to his position and might still be learning policies. Also, I think he made the decision he made because of coronavirus. The director was also in the room during our department branch meeting on Wednesday, March 16th, when the sweet administrator gave us the tornado warning and how the conference room in his office would be used for staff and citizens during a tornado. 
I assume, understanding this, the director allowing some staff to work from home was him understanding that it would be folly if staff had to share the shelter with citizens during a tornado potentially creating a coronavirus hotspot with staff and citizens sheltering in the same enclosed room. At this point, my branch minister reiterated county policies and, reinforced, uh, and explained force majeure, which means unforeseeable circumstances or acts of nature. Despite coronavirus, the policy is for staff and citizens to shelter in the assigned conference room. And because of force majeure, people can act to prevent harm or loss of life. I responded that it seems such a situation might open the county to liability, even if, if found that after sheltering in the conference room, it has created, it created a coronavirus hotspot. At this point, my coworker said that because the county took precautions by getting vaccination shots for county workers, the county wouldn't be liable. And then she brought up an example of a Texas woman of a woman in Texas who allowed people into her home because uh, because she had heat during a Texas power outage, and some of the people she let in had coronavirus, though the woman never caught coronavirus. I posited to my coworker that her example is one where a private person is making a decision compared to our situation where the staff is held to the policy of our employer. She acknowledged the nuance. Nevertheless, no tornado hit, so no harm, no foul, I suppose. So this morning, uh, March 19th, my department branch manager took, um, told me that the former councilman would be applying for another grant. Fine. My manager asked me how it would work this time if we do it. Then he said something I thought was weird and at, at least, and at the very least incorrect. He said we partnered with the former councilman on the ongoing grant by applying for the grant for them. I responded, if this is true, that we partnered with the former councilman, I'm going to need documentation. Keep in mind, I'm responsible for entering such grants into the federal system. Then I asked my department branch manager, with the other grants I've managed, would you say that we partner with other applicants to do the grant? Um, I'm sorry, would you say that we partner with those applicants to do the grants? And he said no. I reiterated, I reiterated that the former councilman is free to partner with whomever he chooses, but once that happens, I have to treat one organization as the point of contact, not the partnership. In my position, I'm the federal government's local representative. As such, I'm tasked with making sure all applicants abide by federal rules and regulations. Also, the standard operating procedures that I've created are to protect the integrity of this office. This means that no matter how, no matter who the former councilman partners with, I have to make sure that there are, there's a single point of contact and that the organization has the capacity to carry out the project while abiding by federal rules and regulations. At that point, my department branch manager said it cleared up the confusion that he had about the great process. And with that, I think I'm going to turn it over to my wife. If she's ready. Oh, no, she's not ready, so maybe later in the program. So I'm going to pause. Uh. Much obliged, non-Clemson grad. Maybe Miss C later. Wow. Uh, black self-respect. Uh, I will say that for um, trying to help out another black male. I guess it would have been better, right, if you could have maybe bumped into him a year ago or five years ago, maybe, uh, and shared all that information about documentation. And these are some of the things that you can do to try to uh, defend yourself, uh, protect yourself in the workplace. But maybe, just maybe, um, with him being fired because of this racist, incompetent white woman, maybe he's more receptive to the information that you had to share. And so this will be something where he'll take it really seriously. He'll apply it for the rest of his life and maybe share it with lots and lots and lots of other 
uh, black people because this is something that we do not have enough resources on oh my gosh I totally forgot to share the most important report let me get the rest of uh, non-Clemson grads commentary documentation like oh I didn't even finish all the black self-respect I thought that was great black self-respect as well the conversation uh, with his mom even though he annoyed her with the metaphor she sounds like a woman after my own heart like wait a minute I don't want to hear all your wacky metaphors saying I'm like someone saying a woman got raped because she was wearing provocative clothes. Get out of here. <laughs> I gave birth to you. Get out of here. Like, uh, right on. I love it. I love it. Watch those metaphors, man. Um, but that is great to be able to have conversation with a uh, victim, period, and or family member uh, where you're just trying to follow logic. You know, you don't have to have consensus per se. Just trying to follow logic uh, where it can be done without bickering and squabbling and all that and we can walk through it and follow logic like oh, okay we see what the problem is mistreatment yes beautiful beautiful uh, I love the uh, documentation that was next uh, so important that was what he shared that was connected with the black self respect and, and emphasizing with this black male like you gotta document write things down when they're not following policy and procedure and that sort of thing uh, and then he comes back with documentation. I think he'd shared with us before about this white man who's trying to swindle uh, this this grant money for this ridiculous, you know, project or what have you. Uh, and he said, I'm going to protect myself following policy and procedure. And I mean, that is spectacular. You know, you are doing excellent counter racist work when you have a white person on the job tell you oh wow you have cleared up my confusion got it (laughs) understand like outstanding outstanding counter racist work and a lot of times that is that is that's why i say read the policy and procedure you can a lot of times use their very stipulations and protocols because a lot of times they're not following them they're breaking rules left and right and stealing this and bernie matt off that and all the rest of it just make sure we're following the rules about what is supposed to happen like whether it's following the rules about the uh, tornado procedure or following the rules about the grant process and point of contact and all the rest and I see you trying to swindle this money we're going to do things we're going to cross every T dot every I Like we're not going to skip over nothing in this here process I love it I love it. And, and be impeccable about it. So all the white people say, yep, that's policy and procedure. Mm-hmm. That's why we hired non-Clemson grad valedictorian. Uh, let's see. The the tornado, like, that is wild. Like, uh, I don't know. Even if there was no Rona situation, if there was going to be a tornado, I mean, same thing they said in that report about Seattle, about the mudslides. Like, man, that is like man I think I should be able to be at home if that's going to happen like why do I have to come in here and do all that like I, I don't know that's yeah anyway with it, it it, I guess the way that you explained it in terms of uh, the manager maybe looking at this and we got the Rona situation and I don't want this to be a hot spot maybe it'd be better to have some folks you know at home that certainly seems uh, logical it always it sticks out to me when everybody doesn't get that mo when it seems like only select people the cool kids the click members if you will they get the the memo that oh yeah you can go ahead and stay at home and then the rest of us you know the rest of us ham and eggers with, hey where's 
Bob and Sue. What? I could have been at home. My children, you know, they closed the school down. I got children too. Like, what the heck, man? Very common in the workplace situation. And that's even, they said a tornado, and they, they, uh, they use language akin to uh, bad weather does not qualify. Like, really? Is a tornado, is that bad weather? <laughs> like, I mean, we're not talking about rain or, or sleet here. Like, people die in tornadoes. Like, they give, they give you tornado warnings for a reason, often to vacate. Anywho. Spectacular effort, uh, black self-respect, and with the documentation, core component of counter-racism. Let's see. Uh, Retired firefighter in Florida. Thank you for your patience, sir. Oh, yes. Uh, Thank you, Gus. Uh, uh, I uh, was going to to thank uh, Miss Emmy on her report. Uh, I was listening. Uh, it became it became very interesting on what she was talking about. It's probably something that could have been brought up uh, yesterday, uh, being that we were talking about uh, uh, people activity number eight. Um, I can recall uh, in my workplace uh, there were uh, at least two non-white females that would be racially classified as black that uh, openly uh, took on a masculine uh, appearance. Uh, And one of them especially, uh, she was, in my estimation, quite attractive. (laughs) And... uh, and, and at one point in time, at the uh, at the point in time what I had mentioned before in the program, where all of us uh, less confused non-white black males was at one station. Uh, she came by with her quote-unquote boyfriend, uh, and uh, to in- introduce him to us, uh, just to. Uh, become uh, maybe about maybe a year or two years later, uh, she uh, just assumed this uh, masculine uh, appearance. Uh, I forgot what the, what the sexual identification is, is, is identified with, but I think uh, anybody listening would have an idea on, on what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, uh, also, I, I saw I saw the picture of uh, Miss Perez, and my analysis would be, I'll put it this way: uh, being where I'm sitting at right now, the the uh, general area. And I'm not talking about Miami Gardens necessarily, but Miami Dade County, uh, some large parts of the state of Florida. Uh, she would be recognized, she could be recognized as a white person. Uh, I can see her putting on, put, putting down, uh, checking the white, the box that says white uh, on, her, on job applications, voter registration card, uh, you know, other important documents 
But one thing I noticed about the picture, and this is this is uh, also quite prevalent in uh, areas like where I'm 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 at, uh, is uh, she looks like she put some uh, I forgot I don't I don't know the the type of the, the technical name for it the powder that sometimes females put on their face to have a brighter appearance. It looks like she has some something like that applied on her face, and uh, also with with the the dark shadow that uh, some females put on their eyebrows and literally almost almost over their their eye socket, and she has she has that like that. Uh, but I would say in areas like this, uh, is it wouldn't it wouldn't be uncommon for her to. Uh, Check the uh, the white box. Also, in uh, other large areas where there's large areas of of uh, people who speak who primary language is Spanish. They may speak another language, but their primary language that uh, they're most comfortable with is uh, Spanish. But I think she would probably have some trouble in, let's say, Ardmore, Oklahoma. She probably has some some problems in Muskogee, Oklahoma, you know, in areas like that. Uh, she would get some she would she would get some resistance from uh, the white people that I uh, recall in areas like that, rural areas where there's you know uh, a large segment of white people. She probably would have some problems where the white people whose primary language is English. She probably has some problems, and that's my report on that. Thank you. Much obliged. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yeah, I would. Uh, it, I think some some of the folks who wrote on my Facebook page they said that they they thought there might be some variance depending on what part of the globe we're talking. Like if we plopped her in Brazil, I think she might be classified as white. Uh, we picked her up and yeah. put her, you know, in some other, like you said, Muskogee, Oklahoma, put her in some other locations. Maybe, maybe not. Might depend. Uh, yeah, you know, it would, it would probably, probably vary a little bit, particularly, you know, depending on what time, too. Like if you were to, we were to go back some years, maybe 1970, drop her in Kansas. Maybe not, maybe not. Uh, but white people, again, the people who make that decision classified as white. We are all just right. guessing here. Uh, the most Especially if she had that strong Spanish accent. She was she would have some she would have some problems in Ardmore, Oklahoma <laughs> with that with a strong Spanish accent, uh, you know, on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, the most important report that I read today, and there were some doozies, uh, where I didn't even read this one. I read, well, I did. I read it earlier in the week and then went back and read it again today. San Francisco Chronicle. San Francisco black employees file state complaint alleging discipline, pay disparities. Uh, talk about burnout. An advocate. Oh my God. Man, oh man. Listen to this here. An advocacy organization for black city workers filed a state discrimination complaint this week alleging disparities in discipline, pay, and raises. 
the Black Employees Alliance and Coalition Against Anti-Blackness. I said, what in the world? For workplace, they should be a guest for workplace racism like every week. Like they seem like they should have some literature for us to read and everything. Like the Black Employees Alliance and Coalition Against Anti-Blackness. Be specific about it. (laughs) Like, dang. Filed the complaint Monday with the California Department of Fair Employment. There's that word again. And housing alerted the city's ethics commission. The group also laid out its grievances based on city data from 2012 to 2020 obtained via public records in a letter to Mayor London Breed, the Board of Supervisors and Department Heads that said San Francisco should be ashamed. It's an injustice, said Jessica Brown, a black manager with the city who is on the Black Employees Alliance leadership team. We really want the city to move into action. The city disputed the claims about disparities and raises in the group's complaint, city pay data, citing pay data, but has acknowledged racial gaps in discipline and pay in the past that San Francisco is addressing. The Department of Human Resources takes any claim of discrimination or unfair treatment of any employee very seriously, said spokeswoman Mawuli Tugbinyo said in a statement, we have implemented focused strategies to address any inequities that we have on many occasions openly discussed and reported on. The state will meet with the Alliance in May to determine whether to accept the complaint for investigation. Black people make up 12% of the city's 36,000 strong workforce. The Black Employee Alliance consists of around 410 members. Isn't that amazing? The group's state complaint state complaint follows a trio of racial discrimination lawsuits against the city and a human resources scandal last year over a forged discrimination settlement. The city has admitted racial disparities and founded an office of racial equity requiring each department to produce a racial equity action plan and taking steps to reduce bias in five main areas of hiring and workplace practices has the word racism been used in this report like the anti-blackness got that no see there never use the word racism let me see uh andy lynch wait a minute skipped a little bit we have a lot of work to do but it's very valid that black employees are paid less in certain roles are not promoted proportionally and that they are the subject of disproportionate disciplinary actions by city departments Board of Supervisors President Shaman Walton said in a statement reacting to the state complaint. This has to change. Andy Lynch, a spokesman for for the mayor, said she has met with the Black Employees Alliance in the past and is always willing to listen and work with city employees who feel they are not treated fairly. Uh, uh, uh. They had a little bit more data about the uh, mistreatment, but man, I have never heard of the Black Employees Alliance and Coalition Against Anti-Blackness. Never. Uh, I'm going to look to see if they have, uh, they said they have 410 
members like uh man they should have like a, a website and all kinds of things <laughs> like uh i would love to get some some literature and more information uh about these folks like wow see if they have some some suggestions and and uh offerings that they can you know tell, share with other black people uh, i'm looking to see if i can find a uh website if i find anything i will share uh yeah, if I find anything, I'll share. If anybody else, if you're able to locate information, then uh, please share. Wowee. What a name. Black Employee Alliance and Coalition Against Anti-Blackness. Hmm. Other folks, the number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks, if you have commentary to share, certainly if we have anybody, if you are familiar uh, with the Black Employee Alliance and Coalition Against Anti-Blackness, let us know about your experience. Uh, other folks with a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Our Bay Area mom, yes ma'am. Um, thanks for taking my call. I've never heard of the um, coalition, but I do know that San Francisco soul races. And remember when we had that um, a gentleman, he, uh, he was having some kind of issue at his job, a racist issue, and then he tagged his, um, some, some, some co-workers on Facebook, and then they were listening in, and then they said something to him about it afterwards. So, And they had a few, it was like the fire department, too. They were doing stuff to the, uh, the black guys and um, the fire department in San Francisco. So they've always been racist. And, um, oh, burnout. So, oh, uh, Jesse, uh, uh, whatever the, the, the lady that says she's Latina, I don't even know what Latina means. Um, but uh, she, she looks like she classifies as white and she would pass for white and, even with some blonde hair, she could get away with being white. Um, burnout. I'm so burned out. So on that second clip, I, I, I was thinking about the first clip, but it just brushed, it pushed out of my brain because the second clip was so dominant because I could relate. Um, I don't know if it would be called burnout for me, probably lazy and ungrateful. But my lazy, ungrateful self, um, I'm so tired from picking up that evening um, client that I I fall asleep in the chair. So um, apparently for the evening client, <laughs> her, the little girl, she has a uh, someone that comes from my job that goes to her school in the daytime. She's an aide for her. She hasn't been to that school since last Wednesday. Um, and according to the mom, she calls out frequently uh, um, a white girl. So um, the uh, supervisor, well, first uh, on Thursday, well, Wednesday, because I had my last day, I do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it's late night. And on Wednesday morning, I get uh, a, a chat or something on my tablet in the morning. Hi. Just want to know if you want to pick up some extra hours and um, it just be this week only, um, 4.30 to 6.30, Thursday and Friday. 
So I said, hi. No, thank you, thank you. So this is 7 in the morning. So at 4 o'clock in the evening on my way to this girl's home, I get a text message from the supervisor on that little chat thing. Hi, I know you talked to scheduling already, um, but um just want to know if um, uh, you could do um, for <laughs> whatever the same thing I just said. Uh, will that be, is that good for you? <laughs> Hi. No, Thursday and Friday is not good for me. And that was it. So I know I'm on the list, whatever that list is. And I don't care because I'm tired. So the mom asked me when I was leaving that Wednesday, are you coming back Thursday and Friday? Who's telling you this? No, I'm tired. I'm not coming back here. This little girl's tired, too. She sees like 15 different people a day. She's tired, too. Everybody's tired. No. Well, that's okay. God, I'm sure it is. Maybe the supervisor can come and for two days or something, but I'm not interested. And I just thought that was interesting because I already said no. So what are you going to make me feel guilty? No. I'm, no. So um, with one, another um, little girl, I have an AM little girl, and um, so her grandmother is the custodial parent because the mom does. Not really interested in being a parent to that magnitude. So we're trying to redirect the little girl so she's not so dominant because she just does what she wants to do. And so with the redirection, the grandmother took it like, well, your supervisor said the black supervisor. Well, your supervisor said that um, I'm 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 just a pushover. I just I don't I'm not a good 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 person. I'm, I said that's not what she said. She didn't say that. Well, and then you they'll laugh it off. Well, that's not what she said. All she's saying is this little girl runs the house. She has too much control. It's like she's the boss of the house. She whatever she says goes. She's four. She's barely talking, and whatever she says goes. So I can't get any work done because. So I, no, she just wants me to do whatever she wants to do, which is this holds this doll, and um, she just everything is about the doll. So I'll give her what's this Doc McStuffin, you know, because that's the doll that she has. It's, what? And so there's no everything is funny, and nobody wants to hear her cry. So there's nothing I can do. So she read a book, read a book. I'm like, okay, you want me to read a book? What's this? Okay, okay, well, no okay to this book. So I, I really don't have a problem with it. But um, it's kind of a waste of time. So the grandmother's like, well, ever since um, your supervisor came, the black one, she hasn't been doing anything. So I want to say, well, actually, ever since she's got the last vaccine, the MMR vaccine, she hasn't been really wanting to do anything, and she's been buzzing around, really. I've noticed, I've noticed that she's been different since she's got her four-year-old shot. And I didn't ask what they were, but I looked them up. And um, she's already buzzing around worse than before. She's slipping around, slipping and falling. I don't say anything because who am I? But I'm noticing since she's got her vaccination, her last vaccination, she's really been a lot different. And since nobody wants to hear her cry, she just does whatever she wants. And then I just told her grandmother, it's going to get even harder because my supervisor's not plan. You know, I, I'll do this. I'll sit and do this, but I'm not going to give in to her. I'm saying that my supervisor is going to really, it's not going to go with it however you think it's going to go. So um, she just said, well, what would you do? I said, well, 
I would have been shut this down. I said, this? I would have already shut this down. I said, I would have shut this down. I said, I wouldn't. I would take some time off because our daughter has like a slew of hours, but she would rather be at work than at home dealing with her child. I said, I would have taken off and got my daughter in order so it won't be so much pressure on my parents. That's what I would do. And then the grandmother just looked at me, but that's what I would do. So I was thinking about the little boy, the black one, and his cups. So this week there was a cup, like, could have been white cranberry grape juice, but it looked like wine or something. So he's reaching for this cup. So I'm like, no, that's not yours. So he's going to go get a step stool because it is mine because I want it. So he goes to get a step stool. And the father's sitting right there uh, like his pants are in the cleaners. So he's just sitting there acting like he doesn't hear what's going on. Grandma's there. His mom is uh, not there. And so I have, he goes to get the step stool because he's going to go get the cup that I just told him he couldn't have. So uh, I'm looking at this cup with, like, wine. But it might be white cranberry juice. So I say, hey, Grandma, what's the, whose cup is this? What's in this cup? Because I, ever since I bought him a new cup, they try not to have so many cups on the table so he can drink out of his cup. That's what it appears. And um, <laughs> he gets this cup. He's trying to reach for this cup. And then so Grandma's like, I don't know what that is. And so Dad spins around. And he's boom, boom, boom. And um, then he goes, spins back around. So Grandma's like, oh, no, I don't know what this is. And she smells it. She's like, I don't know what this is, but that's, if we give him some alcohol, I, we're all going to be in trouble. So I, I, she poured it out and gave him some, I don't know, something else that didn't look like wine in another cup. And um, thanks for taking my call. I'll, I'll meet my line. That... Uh... Idiot, Gus T, known for saying, sobriety would be best, particularly for toddlers, I think. Um, talk about burnout, like, man, that that type of work, what I said earlier, like, man, many of these jobs, they are designed to burn out black people, like, that is definitely one right there. Like it's like everything that we talked about. Like no support. She talked about that for a whole year from staff. Uh, they'll give you all kinds of wacky hours that are not support uh, to support <clears throat> your well-being. Uh, on the, and it's not even to support the well-being of the children. That's the thing that we keep pointing out. It's not like they're putting you uh, in position where the children can thrive and do better and making sure that the children have that you have resources so that then you can go in and do optimal work with these children and get them back on level and all the rest. I mean, burn out man. And then the alcohol, I have to get that two weeks in a row. Like having to, we can't even just go in and do basics, like getting your vocabulary up and the rest of it. Cause like we're having to, Oh my Lord, is he trying to get the vodka? Like what? Man, doctor, what did she say? When you play around with sex, Dr. Welsing, the joke is on the offspring. Man, maximum value on producing black children. Like, 
Jeez, that is uh, that is a total win for racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, much obliged, Bay Area mom. Uh, other folks uh, with a hand up commentary to share. Can I be heard? Greetings, Miss C. Yes, ma'am. Hello, Gus. Hello, Cal listener. It's been a while since I've called in. Uh, normally, I go to sleep <laughs> by accident, by accident. But um, I have a few stories. I'll save my really juicy one for another week. But <laughs> so I have, I have some pretty funny um, workplace racism. This is dealing with our dance business, um, and you come across some very interesting people. So the first one, this man has been calling for about a year now, and he relocated back to um, South Carolina from, like, Hawaii. And he loves dancing and all this kind of stuff, and he calls, and I I give him um, different places where he can go dance and whatnot. And at this point, just to give you a little background about him, he he won't come to our classes, our support, our business, um, because he has to da- dance in a mask, which is fine. You know, you can't you can't you can't serve both groups of people. And down here in South Carolina, you go all all different places. No one's social distancing. No one's wearing a mask. But where we teach, um, a mask is required. So it doesn't matter. Um, but one of the times he called through, um, I let him know what classes we have going on. So we have our, like, community classes and stuff. And even though he wouldn't come, I just shared that we were um, we were starting, launching a new class called Urban Ballroom. And, you know, code word, urban. Um, but I told him that Urban Ballroom was just a different dance style, uh, partnership dancing, and you dance it to, like, R&B music. And then I started naming off some artists and stuff. And uh, he responded by saying, I don't like ghetto music. And <laughs> I just thought that was that was very interesting that he said that, that he called, you know, R&B music ghetto. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't like that kind of music, that's fine. Um, and maybe like a couple months ago, we finally launched the Urban Ballroom classes. But instead of the partnership series, we started doing these line dancing, line dancing classes due to COVID. Um, due to people who feel like they couldn't come to our classes because they didn't have a partner. And we didn't want the people who did come without a partner to have to um, start pairing up with people that they didn't know and risk the COVID. Um, so I, I, was, um, I was trying to advertise or market the class to a a non-white victim, and she would be categorized as a black person. Um, But I was telling her about the urban ballroom line dancing class, and she was like, oh, so you guys do Negro dances. And I I don't know. I was just really taken aback by, I guess both of these people would be classified as non-white people, Um, one maybe non-white Asian and non-white black, and for them to call... R&B music, ghetto, and um, I guess line dancing, um, 
Negro dances. It, it's just very interesting how, how people perceive, uh, I guess, black culture. On to a next, another story. Um, this week was very interesting, dealing with um, enforcing boundaries in the business. Uh, we had a prospective client. Um, they This was a very unusual story, but her brother is getting married in India in June, and she and her husband want to dance for the couple at their wedding. Never heard that before, but I was like, okay, if you're going to pay us, cool. <laughs> um, so we had we had a lesson with them. We shared our prices, told them, you know, they can talk it over, and then let us know what they decide that they want to do in terms of a lesson package plus choreography. Um, and so she she inboxed me on Facebook, and it, it seemed like, you know, the way that she wrote it, she was trying to negotiate on the dance lesson prices, which we have multiple packages and all that kind of stuff. And you can buy a la carte lessons, and there are other – um, there are other services that we offer, but for this, you know, you have to do the prior lessons um, because you're you have a specific goal, which is preparing for a wedding dance and choreography. Um, so she followed up and asked me if I got her message, which of course I did. I was just trying to figure out what she she was asking, and then I was like, "Are you requesting something specifically?" And then she said, oh, well, the, the prices are a little too high for us. Um, we were wondering, you know, if you could, you know, do an overall price reduction. And I told her that we offer two installments. We allow clients to pay within two installments. And then I also gave her other solutions, like PayPal has this four-in-one payment plan program where you can pay every two weeks. Um, which gives you a little bit more time um, to pay for the lesson package. Or you could just buy a smaller package and just call it a day, um, smaller package with choreography. Um, and then I just left it at that. Instead of, instead of reducing the price to keep a client, you know, we were pretty much, or I was pretty much okay with walking away from, like, you know, $500 or whatever. But, um I guess the important lesson here was if you decide to go into business, you have to decide, you know, how much how much your service or your product is worth. And if it is in some cultures, yes, it's normal for people to try to barter and negotiate, but I don't see them going to other other places, um, like let's say Walgreens or um or like a restaurant and trying to get them to knock down their prices. And um, a lot of dance studios aren't open during the week, or I'm sorry, on the weekends or during the time that this particular couple is available. So I think that they <laughs> they probably had already shopped around and tried to, try to get the lowest price um, and – found out that we were, you know, at market rate, we're, we're competitive with our prices. And, and because we weren't willing to budge on our prices, they ended up still booking with us. Um, so that was, that was kind of encouraging, but, you know, I was, I was wondering if they were going to come back, you know, for, for like two or three days, but they ended up, you know, still wanting to do business with us. So that was a good thing. 
And the last thing is like say no to a potential business opportunity. We did we did a um, vendor vendor event a couple a couple weeks ago um, with uh, the Latin community, so white Hispanics. Um, we were trying to open ourselves up to a new market, but from that event. Um, one of one of the marketing people referred us for this business opportunity, and this woman she called us, introduced herself. She said that she was with this um, this magazine that's local to the community, and it, it promotes different social events going on in in this area. And so, um, when she first called me, I was unavailable. Um, so then when I finally get in contact with her, you know, what I want what I, um, to do in business is to follow up with somebody but gather information, gather as much information, write it all down, and then, you know, sit with it and make a decision. So as I'm gathering information, you know, um, she says in exchange for us showcasing at this event, which is at a specific date and time, that she would feature our business in this magazine publication that would be released in the summer of 2021. We would be an event sponsor, um, and you know, people people would be able be able to see us dance, and so that that's supposed to bring us business and and whatnot. Um, and one of the things that she wanted for this event, it was like I love the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, she wanted a dirty dancing routine. So that's from the Dirty Dancing movie. Uh, not only did she want us to showcase, you know, we just go out there and dance whatever dance we want to do. She had a specific request, um, which, which requires choreography so you can match whatever they're doing in the movie. And then they have that famous lift at the end. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what she's wanting, but, um, from from what I was gathering, it sounded like, you know, I'd have to do a choreographed dance, prepare it, practice it, you know, get a specific dance attire and whatnot for this, for this thing. So the whole time I'm talking to her, she didn't know what exactly our business does. So that was, that was not good. Um, and I told her that the majority of comes from our private lesson, our group classes, private group lessons, and I said we're also for higher professionals. So I'm trying to give her a hint, like, hey, you know, we need to talk about money. Um, but the entire conversation that I'm having with her, she doesn't make any mention of, of pavement. And I said, so let me rephrase it back to you. What I'm hearing you say is um, in exchange, you know, that's my hint, <laughs> Uh, in exchange for X, Y, and Z, you know, being featured in your magazine, being an event sponsor, um, you know, showcasing in front of potentially a new market, uh, you want us to do this or give our time and talent at this event and do a dirty dancing routine. And I guess maybe she got the hint, um, but she was like, oh, yeah, maybe we can sponsor uh, uh, work together and collaborate on on you guys hosting a dance event. So I gathered all the information, and then I was like, well, 
I'll go talk to my husband, non-Clemson grad, about this, and then we'll get back with you. You know, that's <laughs> if a married person says that, I'll go talk to my spouse about it. That's pretty much like code for no, this isn't happening. <laughs> it's like it's like the best way to get out of something. So, if there are any married people on here, that's a that's a really good way to say no or enforce a boundary. Um, but I ended up following up with the people and just told them no. No, I'm not going to do it, and but um, well, we're not going to do it. But what was what was ironic about the whole situation was I found out later that these people were hosting a I love the 70s, 80s, 90s party on a Saturday, and there's another social group that's hosting the same exact event the night before on March 26th, and it's called I Love the 80s Party. And they, they I don't think they hired this group, but they they contracted or working with a, another dance studio to do a dirty dancing routine. And I was like, man, man, I made a really great decision, <laughs> a really great decision. Because at the end of the day, like, you can, you can do all of these events and stuff like, oh, it's going to help um, get your business exposure and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like, putting likes or putting pictures and videos on Facebook, um, it doesn't balance out. Like, likes on social media does not equate to dollars. It doesn't equate to dollars. And, and for a lot of these places, they will pay for these massive lavish venues, they'll pay for the catering, they'll pay for the bartending, the liquid catering, they'll pay for the desserts, all this kind of stuff. They'll make sure everybody else gets paid. But as far as like the artists, because we are performers, artistic performers, they don't want, they don't want to um, put a line, uh, a budget in there or a line in their budget for the quote entertainment. And you know, it, it's not, it's not good. It's not good business. So that's all that I have. I will move my line. Thank you for allowing us to share. Job well done. Uh, I think I think that is probably a good way to avoid burnout as well. Uh, like picking up a lot of uh, projects and things where you your time and energy is not valued. Uh, where you're not being compensated as you should uh, and you just keep doing these things and keep doing these things like I feel like when you continue to invest your expertise uh, and time and energy and you're not being compensated correctly that is for sure like they talked all the things that they talked about having those negative feelings and being upset about it and just so many other things like that right there I think is is excellent just knowing your worth and setting boundaries like we are not you know this is our our fee scale and we are not trying to cut corners and and all the rest of it like we should be compensated for what we do and we might lose some business but just being firm about that and hey job well done job well done um i guess i'm not as well i won't say surprised uh system of white supremacy has been super effective so anti-blackness i mean that's the the employment organization they had anti-blackness in the title of their group anti-blackness has been successfully peddled around the planet uh the known universe so many white people 
uh, many non-white people, many people classified as black even, uh, have that sort of opinion of things associated with black people, like, oh, that's something ghetto, that's something inferior, something decrepit, you know, you got some old Negro music that we're supposed to do some ball dancing to, like, very, very common way of thinking about black people and anything associated with black people, unfortunately. Um, just, again, shows how much work we have to do. Um, having standards, I love it. Yeah, because I think white people, especially I think with black people, I think many times white people will think that we will be so starved uh, that they you know, think well of us and will want to work with us, a white person at that. Uh, that of course we will you know cut them a deal or give them a discount or like the folks that wanted you to come I guess and and perform for free I guess uh, that they'll think that we will grovel and accept that that's why just having those standards I think is so uh, critically important might even be black self-respect there as well because white people will do lots of that see if they even Nat King Cole I remember that they did the same thing his white neighbors came to his house that's in uh, Isabel Wilkerson the warmth of other sons where they came to his house and uh, were like oh I think our daughter's having a birthday would you come and sing but it's like Nat King Cole man like what are you talking about <laughs> have me come and sing at your daughter's birthday party for like come on come on and then come and kill our dog and burn nigger in the yard uh, incidentally uh, that is why just hearing the different response I guess we'll have our global Sunday talk this weekend man like here in Seattle you cannot go to the store or any place else without a mask on like nowhere like can you just walk around willy nilly uh, with no mask and here in South Carolina ah, doing that mask craziness get out of here <laughs> that is uh, woof, wackiness of the world uh, let's see other folks uh, who dialed in uh, if you have commentary to share line should be open proceed Yeah, be heard. Greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Um, I wanted to share uh, a couple of observations. The first, uh, the first two were um, posts on uh, social media, uh, and I want to make sure that I continue to do the screenshots because it shows that apparently these um, these females are classified as white, they seem to be allowed to get away with uh, posting these things. At least that's what my conclusion is. I don't think people have pointed it out too much, uh, but... The first uh, post was um, one of the white women saying, ladies, don't forget to buy your steaks for tomorrow. And there's a comment that replies saying, like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? What is that? And the white woman says, steak and BJ day, March the 14th, a couple days ago. So, uh, raunchy, risque, 
things like that, oral sex. So I screenshot that one. And the second one was a uh, another white woman in the same social circle, uh, click, says uh, she quotes, it looks like it was under Benjamin Franklin, uh, something about if you if you become the sheep, the wolves will eat you. So I thought about the uh, the color connotations there. When you think of a sheep, more than likely it's going to be something that's uh, um, of a white pigment or coloration. And wolf is uh, more so something with a uh, uh, animal with dark fur, dark gray, maybe brown or black. So I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, I had a few more. Uh, the next one was I was in the break room, and this white woman who also engages, see, these are different ones, right? So this is an older white woman in like her 50s, right? And she usually comes over in um, the black female is susceptible to her refinement. I'll just word it that way. She comes over and they do the hug and they engage in these theatrics. Um, out of her presence, she's asking me, am I the only one that does copy requests? I said, oh, no. I said, me and blank, the black female, does them for now because the white woman left at the end of the uh, December. And, you know, she says, oh, well, I didn't know if it was just you or if it was you and her because every time I come over there, she's always on her phone. She doesn't do any work. So she starts laughing or whatever. So I think she was trying to bait me, you know, another um, act of racism because the chat is proliferating, uh, at least I think in the form of using the phones. So they try to come up with different ways to approach me, like all 15, 20 of them. Um, they do different things. Like um, another one came up to me. Uh, it was asking about transferring a call. So she says, did you talk to a lady named Christina? I said, oh, no, nah, I, don't, I don't recall that. I didn't talk to that person. Uh, and she asked about the black female, my coworker. I said, oh, no, maybe, maybe she did. You have to ask her. She said, did you, have you seen her? I said, maybe she went on a morning break or she might have just stepped away from the desk or something. I said, well, Blink, you're supposed to know everything. I said, I said, oh, really? And then, you know, she just started laughing. Um, so I don't know what kind of remark, what's, what does that mean? Like, I just think I concluded that um, came from, that spawned from conversation uh confidential type of unjust networking again because they all know each other so that's what I concluded on that um, 
I went down to the drive-through, uh, and another racist. All right. So <laughs> I'm bringing out like it's it's a it's copies they already paid right. So the lady's like, okay, is this paid or unpaid? Choose your fate. Like this some kind of video game. I don't know. I use a metaphor. That's what it sounds like. His dialogue from some kind of work of fiction or something. I said, I said it's paid. Like you know, uh, so because this person is very uh, high maintenance, racist, um, and arrogant. So I have the receipt. And I uh, put the receipt on the unpaid, I mean, the uh, already paid stack. And I couldn't remember. It was something that it was another female down there. And she was like, you know, he does a he does a good job or whatever. And I'm heading back upstairs. And, um, yeah, she says, yeah, you know, I like how he, he gets the work done or whatever. And she's like, uh, yeah, because he's he's good at hustling to, to get that money. See, so it's always some kind of um, racist uh, insult to mock uh, black people or uh, the perceived black speech pattern or something with hip hop because the the way she was gesturing with her hands, as though they say "quote unquote" make it rain or whatever. See, so that automatically gets applied to me because I'm black. I'm a black male, so that kind of racist talk uh, was occurring. Um, other than that, there has been uh, some more attention uh, across the hallway with the black females, but I just try to make sure I uh, I keep my distance and I'm making sure that I'm staying constructive. Um and I've been drinking like a gallon and a half of water with uh, like a new strategy that, that I've been trying to uh, use. So I've been doing good at that, feeling better, um, not really stressed very much, and continuing to ask questions. If I could add one more, uh, we still haven't gotten a third person yet in the area. So I asked, now I already know what the reason is they don't want to put another dark person in the area and i haven't seen anything to prove me wrong on that so i asked the the, uh the manager a black female um do you happen to know what's taking so long because if a person quit december 29th what is it it's almost april right like would you happen to know what's taking so long on this oh i don't i don't really know maybe it's the budget or Maybe they didn't think it was a priority, which is what I thought was insulting, but I just I let her respond. Uh, then I asked a follow-up, uh, has it taken this long with any other position in this department? So she kind of struggled answering that question. Um, but she eventually said, no, it hasn't taken this long with any other position. So I said, I've come to my own conclusion, but I just wanted to ask you some questions on that. So she goes to the white woman who uh, doesn't seem to want to talk to me anymore. Uh, 
and she comes back and says, you know, Blank, uh, I asked the supervisor about the uh, when are they going to fill the position. And she says uh, they've been having some issues with the references and some issues with other things, and it's still in the process. And I said, oh, see, there it is. There's that code again. There's that code that she was victimized by, and I don't think she was aware of it. But I think uh, my supervisor is tweaking and refining her language every time that we talk so she already has it um, already by default to respond to me if I ask about anything relating uh, to race, racism. And she is very skilled because they stopped letting her park in the warden spot because I pointed that out. See, so every time I point something out, they try to do something different. So that's how they practice racism uh, in the courthouse sometimes. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. That is funny. That is some, I think the, the female who dialed it or wrote in, sorry, she wrote in before and she said that previously she had, I guess, got clarification in the review. You don't need to answer these particular questions. Then they came around later and changes it. Oh yeah, you got to answer them. You'll fail if you don't answer those. Like they'll switch something up. You point something out. Hey, is, is this in, in accordance with policy and procedure? Anybody can just park in the warden's spot. Nah. It's like vendetta. I said they vindictive, vindictive. Then they'll come around with something else. Might even use that. We'll make them wait another five months before we hire a third person. Mess up my sweet parking deal. Act like you. That's exactly what she said. You want to be Mr. Know-it-all. Think you know all the rules about the courthouse. Who's supposed to park here and who's supposed to park there. See how you like it. Wait until December. We find a third person to come out and help your department. That'll be fun. Uh, let's see. They got the. They, I mean, like I, I told uh, Miss C, like hearing different people, like uh, they're not wearing masks in South Carolina, which I'm not surprised about. Define all the way, uh, but not wearing masks, no distancing, uh, and then in Florida, he said last week they were handing out ice cream sandwiches and snacks and everything. This week, he said the woman came around and and was hugging on the black female before she got into her racism. Like, man, where? I don't do fist bumps, handshakes, like nothing. <laughs> like even with black people that I'm cool with, like it was a pretty black female that wanted to hug. And I was like, I don't, uh, Rona, <laughs> like, uh, man, I am not hugging strangers. None of that. Like take things seriously. Anywho. So the white woman goes and does her whole hug thing, swaps some cooties. And then, come back around and be like oh have you seen her yeah she's lazy no count heifer she never gets any work done but <laughs> what <Yeah. laughs> the treachery the treacherousness yeah. I mean what and then as you said they'll try to pull you in and that is so common where she'll say that and then you can follow it up like oh yeah I can't stand her she's so lazy and trying she might have a recorder you don't know is she doing an experiment like the other chick to see how you're going to respond or I love it even more really 
that's not been my experience she is one of the hardest working employees that we have I think she's one of the best workers that we have here that's what you can put on Alexa and everybody else that he had nothing but the best compliments saying that you're one of the most exemplary employees in the building yeah thought we were going to get him to do some some name calling get in on it didn't get it dang Uh, And incidentally, I mean, that's a good reminder, though. Like if you do have a white person that you think is cool and that's your homie, you all eat lunch together, you all get coffee breaks or, you know, whatever it is like. You do not know how that person behaves when you are not present. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, The social media component. I guess like uh, man I would continue doing the recon Uh, again these folks work at the courthouse like I don't know I'd be a little bit concerned uh, about putting anything a little too risque on the Instagram like I mean I guess if you're not the judge that's one thing but still like I mean you're a civil employee like the courthouse is you know the courthouse like supposed to be I don't think you're supposed to be cutting a fool on uh, social media at the courthouse like I don't know uh, Yeah, I, I would not recommend that I'll put it that way um, but even if you don't work at the courthouse or other prominent uh, civil service office I would not be talking uh, about sexual intercourse and a lot of other things that people might say what they call not suitable for work NSFW right that would qualify, I think. Uh, and it, I thought it was uh, St. Patrick's Day this week. Is that another one where it's just because I know it's a lot of drinking. Is that just another excuse for the debauchery? And, you know, we can go drink and, and cut a fool. Uh, let's see. Always love being in the question lane, uh, especially if you have a reputation uh you feel like white people might be you know trying to deal with you in a special way staying in the question lane just stand not going in and making accusations why is it taking y'all 50 years to hire someone you're racist you're not doing this you don't want to just asking questions exactly how long has it taken or excuse me exactly how many times has it taken five months for you all to find a replacement other departments have to wait this long to get you know positions filled you say you don't remember hmm. any any reason you can think of why we are the only ones have to be singled out to wait so long us in the segregated area hmm. all black people hmm. Hmm. blame that on the Rona too background references we can't get the checks they got the Rona like oh it's just, everything is conspiring to slow the process down we just gonna be timely we just have to keep hope alive and be patient I reckon incidentally I feel like I have seen that before where it's where it'll be black people I have in fact I've seen that and I've experienced it where it'll be the department Whereas either it's all black people or they have more non-white people than, you know, the other departments. For whatever reason, the department with the non-white people, their things will be slow in getting replacements. Same thing. Staff is out. I've seen that. I've experienced it directly. If you have staff is out and they're supposed to get you like 
replacement staffs so you're not short for the day oh man we just i don't know people think fred called out he got a hangnail and i don't know did jenny i think she she got an ice cube stuck in her jaw i think we yeah i don't we'll have to come back come come back about five hours later and the shift is only eight hours <laughs> like i have seen that consistently non-white back of the bus bottom of the boat last one to get you help assistance in the workplace much obliged caller in florida uh oh man we did our three hours uh we did our three hours i didn't even see um it would seem we did not miss anyone flagrantly uh that i'm aware of everybody got their hand up did anybody do we miss anyone totally Yeah, I didn't think we missed anyone uh, flagrantly. We will be here uh, tomorrow. That would be Saturday. Compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, We have the shooting that happened down in Atlanta. The ongoing uh, Capitol uh, hearings, the ongoing trial. uh, Everyone's paying attention to in Minnesota. Derek Chauvin, I think they have the jury selected. Six white people six non-white people four of them black people and curiously two of them are they said mixed race whatever that means maybe jesse perez is is one of those mixed race people on there uh but we'll catch up on uh what has gone down tomorrow uh, the past week that'll be tomorrow and then as i said our global sunday talk on racism uh looking forward to hearing some of our folks uh in the uk uh to hear their thoughts on the whole uh megan markle think uh, non-clemson grad was talking about that hear their thoughts i don't know if they're in the blaming category maybe they think she's a coon too uh but it'll be interesting to hear their thoughts on that as well as the so-called anti-asian violence how that's kind of being reported and talked about uh around the world but that's sunday 3 p.m eastern 2 p.m central 12 noon pacific much obliged for everyone uh tuning in hope it was worthy of your saturday or excuse me friday friday evening long week long month uh, much obliged. Hope it was worthy and helpful. Sobriety would be best. Man, heard that with the child again. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Children, adults, everything in between. Keep it sober. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled. If you are in a vehicle, I still say hunker down. Uh, even the delivery drivers are not sh- uh, safe. 40 enforcement officers called out to gun down black male just delivering newspapers. That is the environment that we're in. I would say if you go out, be very alert about what's happening around you. Again, we are not confronting. You don't know. This is a sheriff, FBI agent, random white woman with a gun. You don't know. All three are dangerous and could take your life in a matter of seconds. If you leave your residence, you're not prepared for mortal combat. You're not prepared to kill and die. When you see these type of situations, exit. That's what you should be thinking. And this person could have a gun. And what do I say? This person might be a race soldier and might have already called 40 or 50 other friends with their guns to come in immediately. You don't know and you don't have backup. So you are never in a position of confrontation in these type of situations. 
no with not with strangers not out in public not for any reason exit that's it if you are going out it's something serious you are sober you are buckled if you're driving you are not on the cell phone uh, one we need to be very alert to what's happening around us two we are trying as best we can small things we can do to minimize contact with the Derek Chauvin Mark Furman's of the known universe that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim brother a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning Mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned